Hockey Shop. Source for Sports Surrey presents episode 32 of In Goal Radio, the podcast, the audio division of the acclaimed In Goal magazine. Today, the theme is reinvention. The word is a perfect way to describe what is happening with four-year NHLer Mike Condon. The term reinvention also sums up CCM's Ryan Frame, who takes over the gear segment. Frame mixes hockey, specifically goaltending equipment, new rules on things like chest and arm pieces, and stirs it all together with a healthy dose of science and research. Both conversations conducted by InGoal co-founder Kevin Woodley, who joins me along with partner Dave Hutchison. Hello, gentlemen. G'day, g'day, g'day. How are we all? You guys are enthusiastic, bursting at the <laughs> seams. I can feel it oozing. Oh, we can see it the internet. Hold on, just let yes. me slam a Red Bull and I'll be good. <laughs> well, let's get you going here uh, because two very different segments today. As Cam from the Hockey Shop gets a week off, his backup is a guy that, in a world of trying to be ahead of the curve at CCM, is the person who's on the bus supplying the research to the driver. Uh, Kevin and uh, and Woody, uh, Hutch, you guys have spent some time with Ryan at CCM headquarters. And Hutch, just give me an idea of, of what this guy's all about. Uh, well, he's a, an independent researcher at Dalhousie University um, out on the east coast of Canada. And he's a goaltender himself who has a passion for the position and an inquiring mind. He's He does research in in biomechanics, which is uh, functional movement, uh, trying to understand movement, quantify movement, um, and and so he's the kind of guy that can can ask the right questions and then has the uh, the skill to go and answer those questions. Um, my background is uh, academically is sports science. Um, many many moons ago, I worked at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And it was an interesting situation because we were uh, academic researchers, um, but at the same time, we were working with uh, high-performance sport. In this case, most of my work with uh, United States swimming, not hockey, interestingly. And so you're, you're asking questions from a research perspective, sort of pure academic questions. And then from that, you're trying to come out with uh, practical applications uh, that can help athletes perform at a higher level. And that's exactly what Ryan's doing. I mean, so many people um, in sport will just sort of pass on conventional wisdom from year after year without really asking the right questions to see uh, how we can improve. And how many of us have, uh, over the years, looked down at our goal pads and apologies to Connor Hellebuck, will say, why are all those straps there? And uh, we might pull them off and see what happens, but Ryan's got that ability to take uh, high-speed cameras and uh and video and um quantify exactly what's happening when you modify the back of a goal pad for example and uh and often we've looked at guys as um as we've all noted standing in the store and uh, doing various calisthenics wearing a chest and arm unit uh trying to assess whether it does what it needs to do and and ryan on the other hand can come along and say now now what's the proper movement that we really need to evaluate whether this uh, works for our game, and uh, and so I found found it fascinating. Uh, Kevin and I have met him a couple of times in in Montreal at uh, CCM when we've gone in for meetings, and we've toured the research uh, facilities. Um, very closed door. We have to leave the cameras behind when we go in there generally, um, but we're able to see what CCM is doing. And then, the, so they're they're working 
sort of in partnership with Ryan because he's answering some questions and then they're they're working on some different sort of uh, work in their own lab. So they've got a couple of different streams, their own practical research uh, into their products. And then Ryan's, of course, got his own academic work uh, on the side that helps together um, guide CCM's product development. It's all very much research-based. And I obviously, as you can imagine, I found it fascinating to spend some time in there. So he's not a designer, right? No, not at all. He's he's just answering questions about, uh, you know, what happens if we remove this strap? What happens if we uh, change the the placement of some padding? Um, what's it do to our our mobility? What's it do to our speed? Uh, what's it do to how quickly can we get the pad to the ice? Um, he's just answering sort of pure questions about specific pieces of equipment, and then CCM can take. Uh, what he's doing, and then they can apply it to specific products in their development cycle. And they do things like, like I love it when they have, like to me, one of my favorite ones, and we talk about it a little bit in the interview, is just the, you know, the drop velocity and the fact that, and this wasn't what they were looking for. It's not like they set out to sort of prove this, but in the course of all his testing about straps, they started to notice that certain strapping got the pad to the ice faster. And of course, you've seen um, some of those claims made by CCM uh, in terms of, you know, a pad getting to the ice faster with certain models. And he's sort of the science to back it up, but it's not like they went in looking for it. They went in trying to look at different strapping and discovered that, hey, like when you drop to the ice, um, your knee hits the knee stack and it can actually drive the pad down. And if there's a little bit of a gap there, the pad will actually on the way down separate from the knee and beat the knees to the ice. In other words, you will seal the five hole or get to the ice faster. So um, seeing the science and, and, and hearing that, I remember hearing that for the first time and thinking bull. And then he, so, and then he showed me the video and he showed me the slow most frames and he showed me the stills. And we saw the science showing that, yeah, your pad does separate from your knee. It can get to the ice faster, you know, based on certain strapping preferences. And then CCM internally in house with their designers goes to work to set up strapping systems that support that research. So um, they don't always find exactly what they're looking for. Uh, I think in the case of the the chest protector they were looking at this time, uh, as we talked to him about it in the interview, uh, they were just looking at, at sort of just testing things in general. And they discovered something about the chest plate that needed to be changed um, before a model went to retail. And so it's it really is science-driven not necessarily just to say, hey, this is the best. We want to test it and see where we stack up. But, you know, really looking at the functionality or as Hutch said, the biomechanics of movement as it applies to goaltending. And then, you know, their R&D team, their uh, their design team in-house, um, guys like Francis take over and they turn that into a finished product that they think can make goaltenders better. So it's kind of cool to, to see the process. It's kind of cool to get to know the people behind it. Did you just drop a nickname? No, Francis is uh, one of their designers, and I'm uh, shooting myself right now for throwing the name out because I don't have his last name in front of me. And so uh, sincere apologies to Francis at CCM. I feel like a real jackass. Well, I thought it now. was a playoff frame, so uh, <laughs> forgive me for, uh, for, for for calling you out there. But it's, it's, it's a really technical, interesting, deep... Um, numbers i have this vision of a harvard blackboard when when you guys uh, are having this conversation and then and then the mike condon interview takes a run at being in goal radio's most forthcoming discussion in 31 episodes it's it's it isn't a woe is me type conversation but rather an honest reflection of events that 
limited content, only playing two games last year in the National Hockey League, but he also offers a fun tour of his life as a goaltender, admits to his naiveness uh, to the world of the professional game and when he when he first started uh, down the professional ranks. So that conversation uh, is one that you have to stick around for uh, because it's really neat to hear a guy uh, break his game down to the bottom and and trying to get it back to where he needs to be in the in the National Hockey League. But the gear segment is up first, uh, and it's brought to you by the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com, Woody. Yeah, and before we talk about the Hockey Shop, actually, guess what? Cam from the Hockey Shop, one of the reasons this works so well, he was actually at CCM for meetings this week to oh. look at future lines. And like ourselves, we won't talk about what those future lines entail, but he's getting a glimpse at some of the things we've seen. Um, and that immediately sparked my brain, which admittedly I was a little sleepy at the start of this, but I remembered. <laughs> so apologies and Francis Ouellette. Now the only thing is whether I said it wrong or said it right, but Francis Ouellette, he's <laughs> one of the, uh, industrial designers for CCM again, in-house in their building. And so a lot of the things you guys see, um, at retail and then in the NHL, and this is an interesting trend too. Um, a lot of retail innovation from CCM, things like the 3D molded knee stack have now been adopted by the NHLers. It used to be the NHLers that said, I like this, I like that, and it ended up at retail. It's going the other way. They're driving innovation with guys like Ryan Frain, with guys like Francis Ouellette and the rest of their R&D team that, that then the NHLers, we talked about it at the Wonga with the strapping, they see it at test events are like, I want to try that. And so it's it's kind of it's flipped it on its ear. So, anyways, uh, Cam is there back in Montreal, experiencing that right now. So we are going to we are going to talk to Ryan Frain, but that doesn't mean we can't thank our good friends at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports and thehockeyshop.com for bringing you the In Goal Radio podcast. Just because I don't get to visit this week in person doesn't mean there aren't great deals going on. Uh, the breakaway sale. On right now at thehockeyshop.com, or if you drop by in person at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey, British Columbia, just outside of Vancouver, 15% off a wide range uh, of goaltending equipment from some of the biggest names in the sports, CCM, Brian, Bauer, uh, Warrior, Vaughn. They've all got something on sale. And as we're about to talk about the CCM chest and arm protectors, one of my personal favorites, a unit that's a staple in, in my bag, the CCM Premier right now at thehockeyshop.com. $549. That is 15% off the regular price of $649. Just one example of the savings you can find in store and online at the hockey shop and the hockeyshop.com this week. Make sure you go check it out and keep an eye on our social media feeds as we highlight some of those featured sale items. And in the absence of a guy with a very efficient first name in Cam, we offer somebody with uh, three letters himself after his name in Ryan Frain. A researcher at Dalhousie University. He's a goaltender. He combines those two in assisting CCM goal. His bio and a deep dive into upper body gear in the gear segment brought to you by the Hockey Shop, THS, Source for Sports Surrey, a technical and illuminating exchange with Ryan Frain and Kevin Woodley. Woody. All right. So, special treat in the gear segment this week brought to you by the Hockey Shop. Source for sports in the hockey shop.com. We're actually not in the hockey shop. <laughs> we are, we've got a special guest this week. We're, we're going to go, we're going to go to the experts in the industry. We're going to start mixing it up a little bit here on the Ingo Radio podcast. And I couldn't think of a better guy to start with than Dr. Ryan Frain, who, um, if you've read some of our CCM reviews in the past, 
Uh, we've talked a lot about his work, things like uh, drop velocity tests and you know how, how can a pad actually get to the ice faster than your knees, something I actually originally didn't believe, but Ryan proved it to me through the use of slow motion camera. So I'm going to get you to walk me through the credentials and, the, and, and your experiences with CCM. Uh, and then we're going to get into chest protectors and some of the research you've done with chest protectors over the past couple of years uh, with CCM and other models and truly establishing sort of impact protection, uh, the role it plays uh, in product development and also range of motion. So, but first let's start. You, doc, Dr. Ryan Frain, introduce yourself to our listeners for the few that don't know you already in the goaltending world. Uh, how'd you get started in, with this project with CCM? Uh, thanks, Kev. Um, so I've actually uh, been working with CCM for about seven years now. Uh, it started uh, back when I was doing my PhD at Western, um, and you alluded to some of the research we did back there, which was more lower body, looking at uh, how performance differences can occur between different lines of, of leg pads. Uh, I've since moved out to the East Coast. I'm now at Dalhousie University. Um, and we changed focuses uh, when we moved out to Dal, um, particularly because of the the hot topic of chest and arm and the rule changes that were uh, circling around at that time, and then now that they've been implemented. Um, and so, our, my primary role with CCM is to test their equipment for safety and performance. Um, and naturally, anytime a new rule comes down where they're going to be changing the shape. Uh, of any equipment, uh, we have to make sure that we're testing it for safety and performance so that we're one, improving the quality of the, the equipment itself from both a performance perspective, like I said, but also making sure that any of those changes don't decrease uh, any safety or uh, impact related injuries that could potentially come as a, as a result of changing the equipment. So uh, that's that's kind of the quick background of where we started and and why we started doing the the chest and arm testing here at uh, at Dell. No, and so focused or started with uh, around the change in the NHL chest protectors, but also you end up learning things about the product and about how it performs. That you know through research, you know the R and D team and working with the designers at CCM end up getting transferred into the retail product as well. Not just because the one thing about that new NHL one is. None of us, whether it's beer leaguers or minor hockey, are gonna. That's not seeing the light of day with us, right? That's NHL only. But some of the knowledge you gain through that testing, you know, has directly impacted the way they're building. For example, and we're do we're working with this product right now for a review. Is is the Shield Two chest and arm protector? So um, let's start with the impact of testing, because um, I think in the presentation that we saw when we were in Montreal with you and CCM uh, in the spring. That's kind of where you started, the impact testing. It's funny because I think a lot of people look at a sternum plate and they see the padding and the reason that seems to be an area that's widely reinforced. And yeah. I don't know how many people, but I know early when I started, I, I, I used to ask questions. People like, oh, hey, like you got to have that protection over your heart. It's a it's a heck of a lot more than that, isn't it? And you just and in terms of how that area affects the dispersion of impact throughout the chest region. Absolutely. So just to kind of give the, the quick breakdown of how, how that equipment or that area is going to protect your body um, in the sternum is really that, that hard sternum plate. Uh, the importance of it is that it takes that initial impact and, and spreads it over the surface of the soft compliant foams under, right? So the larger you can get that, 
um, the greater force dispersion. I mean, the best analysis for that or the analogy for that would be walking on uh, thin ice, right? You don't want to walk on one spot. You want to lay out flat. You want to have your force dispersed over a large area so you don't create high pressure points. Um, and so when you can have a slightly larger plate, as long as it's not interfering with the mobility of the shoulders or anything like that, um, you can get the impact force to spread out over the hard plate and then then the underlying compliant foams and start decreasing that peak force as it goes down towards your sternum. Okay, and you discovered this as part of the testing. Um, not discovered it, but you, you found some interesting results on this uh, when we were getting into that shield two line and you were doing some testing on that shield, uh, testing on that shield two line and, and they'd actually decreased uh, the width of that sternum plate on one of the early prototypes. Um, maybe walk our listeners through sort of the results and how that affected the ultimate design and product and materials used in the shield two. But also just just quickly, like we get to see this and I won't be able to share it. Uh, podcasts are not a visual medium, but <laughs> Bob, Bob the test dummy, the puck can and the high speed cameras, everything you set up to measure this. This isn't just, you know, Joe in his garage taking shots and saying, yeah, I felt that one. Um, you know, I, I saw the setup. I saw the technology involved. Uh, the puck cannon was a little old school, but it, but you guys that you guys had retrograded it or upgraded it and made it, it made it made it a finely tuned machine. But just just kind of walk us through everything that's involved in making sure you know you're measuring these things properly, and it's not just feel from different guys. Starting with Bob the test dummy. Yeah, so uh, Bob the test dummy was was a perfect uh, perfect fit for us because we needed something that was compliant, similar to what uh, a human tissue would be. Um, in a lot of cases, when you're doing impact related testing or materials testing for equipment, uh, you may be, uh, hammering a puck against a piece of foam, but it's against a flat anvil. And we both know that regardless of how much time you and I spend in the gym, Kevin, our chest and our abs are not anvils, sadly enough. There are a lot of soft parts on this one. <laughs> so we, we, uh, we went out and searched for, uh, Bob, the punching dummy, which gave us a much more compliant, more realistic surface. Um, and then we put on top of Bob's chest, we taped on um, uh, pressure sensors that would cover, encapsulate the, the sternum area of the goaltender. Um, so then those pressure sensors would give us the information on how much force was going to get translated through the equipment on puck impact and then go directly into Bob's chest. So we had Bob, we had the pressure sensors, and then we put on the various sets of equipment out in front. And, and like you said, we had the old Bonnie Puck shooter, um, which was was old school, but it worked pretty well for us after we we did a few modifications to it, which was good. Okay, so some of the early testing. Again, um, to me, the story here is you, you found something that didn't work necessarily, or that, that kind of spiked some of the impact testing. And this is, again, in a prototype. So this is not a product that ever saw the light of day through CCM, but I think it's a good example of the level of you know R and D that they're doing in that building and, and internally to make sure the product that does see the light of day um, is like you said as protective as it could be. And I think in this case, the shield being a line they wanted to stress mobility on um, had thinned out, not thinned out, but narrowed is the better better description that chest plate after mobility, but you found some things in there that, that led to a redesign. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head with that. I, um, 
anytime, anytime we're trying to make a new line of equipment, um, or anybody's making a new line of equipment, we always have to, um, we have a tendency to focus on one versus the other. We either focus on a performance aspect or a safety aspect. In this particular case, the major focus in the design was was increasing mobility, and as a result, it did. It narrowed down that that sternum plate. Um, and when we were doing our testing with Bob the punching dummy, um, we found that sometimes pucks would actually slide in between the sternum plate and the uh, shoulder wings. And then it would make direct contact with the underlying soft compliant foams. And, and as I kind of alluded to initially, if we don't have that hard outer surface dispersing the energy over those soft foams, uh, really uh, it takes a fraction of a second that puck compresses that underlying foam. And then you end up with a very large puck impact uh, directly located onto the goaltender's body, or in this case, it was Bob's chest. Um, and so something we hadn't really considered was having overlap and ensuring the the size of that sternum plate. So when we figured out or noticed that we were getting these large spikes every once in a while, every time we would miss the plate, we'd get these large spikes. It was it quickly uh, alluded to the fact that we needed to go back to the drawing board and, and let people know that we needed to get that sternum plate larger to maximize protection. Now, the one thing to stress here is Bob Bob's the worst case scenario in in the in in terms of a chest and arm protector because Bob don't move. He's kind of like Kevin playing goal. It's just <laughs> a lot of eyes closed, and if it hits me, it hits me. But most yeah. goalies, they're going to sort of try and absorb it naturally. Cradle the old the old cradle, and so um, as much as the change happened anyways, because the worst case scenario numbers did have some spikes, yeah. but you did take a second step where you brought in. Uh, goalies and non-goalies and and tried to get them to absorb the puck and see how the numbers changed and the numbers did improve in that one if i'm not mistaken as goalies are able to cradle the puck that you didn't have those those spikes as often but the fact there were any spikes again led to a need to a, a redesign and the second part of this is materials um they, they actually added d3o as well the initial thought process was D3O, which of course, if you read or have listened to Ingle, you know D3O is an impact absorbing foam. Our listeners will know that. Um, the thought was, hey, our, our our premier line is our, you know, that's our protection emphasized line. That's where we need the D3O just to tell the story. Uh, but if you'll notice now on the shield line, D3O is there as well, because through your testing, the, the value of the properties of D3O were just too hard to argue. Whether even if you're stressing mobility over protection in a line, D3O is a staple of it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for bringing that one up too, because that was the second big thing. Not only did we change the the size or the diameter of the sternum plate, was the the additive of the D3O foam because of the results it, it had in the Premier. So we did that same test we we're talking about with with Bob and the pressure sensors, and and the Premier performed very well in those tests. So it seemed like a logical step to carry it over to the shield. Um, and as far as when you put uh, an actual goalie in the scenario versus uh, versus Bob, um, again, another good analogy, I always fall back on thinking of the movie Happy Gilmore when he gets cut from his hockey team and he goes in the ball cage. Uh, that's basically Bob. There's no anticipatory adjustment. The, the ball just hits somebody in the chest or the puck hits him in the chest. So um, when we did the high speed footage and we watched the, the goaltenders, they actually cradle the puck. And, uh, like I said before, the way the, the puck works on Bob or the, the force mitigation works in Bob's scenario is the puck hits the hard sternum plate. 
the force spreads out over the underlying foams. Those foams then compress slightly, and then the force goes down onto Bob's chest. But in a goaltender or a, an actual goaltender scenario, you have those first two layers, but as their shoulders roll forward, they actually pull the chest protector slightly off their body. So now you have on top of it that hard shield, the soft foams, and now you kind of have that air gap in the the lateral foams are going to also have to compress before the puck makes contact or the force comes right down onto the chest. So um, that actually started to pull a lot of the numbers down. Our peak force value started to decrease a lot just because goaltenders could have those uh, postural adjustments as they see the puck coming in. Um, but even though we know it's the worst case scenario, we know um, that most times goaltenders will be able to move. Uh, I'm sure you've been in the same thing as I have been. A puck gets lost through a screen and you drop into the butterfly to protect. And the next thing you know, you take one square in the chest and you weren't really ready for it. Um, and that's when you do end up getting that Bob type scenario where you'll get a large force and uh, tends to be a, a larger rebound at times in a game scenario. But uh, it can happen. And that's why we, we did the, the test with Bob and the goaltender so we could see both aspects of it. I, I think I, I like that's... The worst case scenario is pretty much how I play goal. So I like the description of a Bob type scenario because <laughs> rather than it being a worst case scenario, I think immediately of Bobrovsky. So I'd rather be compared to that, even though I know I'm really the worst case scenario. So, but again, so, so the changes are made there. Now um, that's impact absorption. The second thing you guys tested, and this is the one that I think a lot of people will, maybe there were some, not surprise, maybe surprising results, but also I think this affects how goalies walk into a store and fit a chest protector. I, I think there's some valuable information here, and that is the range of motion testing that you guys did. And, um, you know, our, our, our readers at ingolmag.com are going to be able to sort of see a little bit of this in the near future when we do have our review in terms of the measurements and how they sort of translate visually to what you created, which was you know, kind of a sphere around the goaltender of range of motion, both from the side and in terms of the ability to project hands forward, but also sort of up and down and where that range of motion changed depending on the model and unit they were wearing. So maybe just share with us that research and that process and and how you went through that. Yeah, so the, the range of motion test, we actually did um, two styles of tests. We did like static maximums. So basically, we want your arm to go as much shoulder flexion that you can, and we're, we're, we want to see what kind of angles we can get. Elbow flexion, how much elbow flexion can you get? You know, that moment when you're trying to get the water bottle to your face and you can't quite get there. Uh, we wanted to know how, how kind of range they would get. Um, and the static worked really well to get kind of a, a blanket feel for what was going to happen. Um, but our major testing was when we did something dynamic. We had the goaltenders or, or participants come in. They wore their chest protectors. And they wore uh, a series of different ones, um, one of them being the Shield 2. Um, and then they would also wear a, a glove. And we then tracked the movement of the glove with respect to their shoulder so we could actually figure out what their functional movement sphere was. Where can they get their glove and where are they finding restrictions? So in certain locations, you find that gloves can be projected out with very little restriction. But in another case, you put in another set of gear, you may find that the shoulder wings are protruding too far or they're so wide that they actually protrude into the neck when somebody tries to bring their glove closer to their midline. Um, and so the, the dynamic testing actually gave us the, not only the how far forward and how far back you can reach within a sphere, but it was the depth. And I think the depth is really key. Um, in a lot of cases, in order to get to certain positions, 
participants would have to bend their elbow in order to get around a, a foam restriction in the equipment to be able to get there. Um, and that's when we started to see a few differences between the, the styles of equipment. Okay, so we walk into a store, we throw on a, uh, a chest and arm, and quite often we'll see, I know I've done it, frankly, you know, like, yeah, hey, you got to get the water bottle in the mouth and you got to be able to put your mask on. But like, you know, we see guys like reach behind their head and touch the back of their head or scratch their ear and they consider that a good range of motion. But the reality as a goaltender is, I mean, again, I'm probably not a great example of this worst case scenario and all, but you really probably don't want to be catching pucks with your glove behind your ear. Everything is out in front of us, at least in an ideal sort of proper technical um, manner. So were there some surprise, like the, were there any surprises in there or did you see things that you didn't expect when you tested that range of motion and kept that in mind? And is there anything that should goalies be keeping that in mind? I guess when they go test a chest protector, don't touch the ear or don't focus solely on your ability to scratch your ear, um, itch or not. Uh, it's how the thing performs in front of you, cradles, making saves in front by your sort of being able to see down in front of your cheek, not by your ear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, the main thing for that is, is functional movement, right? And, and clearly drinking water is a functional movement for goaltenders. It's just not necessarily an in-game style of movement. Hydration is very important for obvious reasons. Um, but scratching your ear may be less important. You can probably use your hockey stick if you needed to. <laughs> um, but one thing I would, like you were saying, is, is make sure that you've got the projection forward where you can. Um, depending on the scenario, the farther forward your gloves get, uh, you're decreasing the, the surface area that the puck's going to be able to see toward the net. It's kind of the, the box control thought processes a little bit. And when we did find that for the most part, uh, across the conditions, chest protectors are pretty comfortable moving their arms out laterally. As we all know, the the chest protectors tend to sit anterior, um, but as the as the equipment tends to bind around the shoulder, it will re- it will remove a little bit of the range of motion, being able to project your hands forward when you're uh, getting closer to your midline. So um, laterally seems to be less of a problem across across uh, equipment types, um, but definitely the more you come medially medially to the mid size of your body, anytime you're going to be pinching your arms down to cradle pucks or anything like that. Uh, you want to make sure that you've got that range of motion because squeakers are they're the worst. Oh, they suck. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Every it doesn't matter what you wear. Everybody, every goalie is going to agree with that. Now, uh, you mentioned so the testing and the results of this went directly into some of the some tweaks um, from the original prototype of the shield line. Uh, and, and that's sort of the eFlex brand, you know, focus on mobility. Uh, what I noticed going over some of the results, and I'm actually personally not surprised because it's a unit that I, I've, I've always found the mobility to be good in, especially after a quick break in, was the Premier. You tested it as well. Were there some results there where because it has this stigma of being the protection side of the family, and let's be honest, it's the bulkier side from an appearance standpoint. That's why I love it. It looks huge. Same reason goalies flock to it in the National Hockey League after Kerry had his MVP and and Vesna Trophy winning season as the only guy in it. The th- they just found a way within the guidelines of the time to make that thing look big. And yeah. but it also got sort of stuck with this stigma of not being as mobile. It was the it was the big one. And yeah. I just I've never found that true. And so when I saw your results. Like the range of motion on that thing, and I'm not surprised because of the way the shoulders sit, but the range of motion on that thing did pretty well. Yes. 
It did. Actually, I uh, I also wear the same model and I love it for the same reasons you do. Um, That's right. We got to look big in there. <laughs> we gotta look, I'm not very big on a good day. Uh, so one thing I was a bit shocked about is, again, it's that stigma. It's the thought process of what um, what I've been told even before the testing was started, just the general kind of feel for for um, how the hockey community feels about that line of equipment versus a shield versus another competitor's line of equipment. And the premier always gets that, well, it's the bigger, bulkier, more protective line. Um, and one of the things that did shock me was its shoulder mobility was remarkably good. Um, and a lot of that played down to the way the shoulder wing interacts with the arm um, of the chest. Um, it actually, every time your arm will come up or forward, it se seems to almost slide in behind the shoulder wing. Whereas in other scenarios, if that shoulder wing is, I mean, without breaking the rules, obviously, if it's super tight down to your shoulder and you go to move your arm upwards for any case, it will actually bind against your neck. And, and, uh, in this case, we found that the shield would actually slide a little bit, give you that extra mobility, and then you would have a greater range of motion as a result in that premier line. So, um, all it did was make me like that one just as much. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> see, so this is, it, I liked it because it reaffirmed my belief because again, that, that stereotype was out there and I was kind of like, and admittedly, I'm a guy who never understood. There's always sort of been stigmas attached to certain brands and certain lines and, you know, the, the more mobile uh some of the more mobile ones people accepted bruises like that was hey like it's thinner and it's more mobile and that's why i like it and i i i'm biased against bruises i don't think i should be black and blue to play the game so i've always gone to that style but I, personally i just felt like the the stereotype wasn't fair and so it's nice to see some testing that sort of backs me up in it uh cuz every time i read a re review on the premier line or say if they ever like that's kind of like I said with the new rules, if they ever were to get rid of it, and thank God they haven't, I would literally go to the store. Like when they changed the wedge rules in golf, I went and bought four old wedges because I needed the, all the spin I could get. I'm going and buying like three or four premier chest protectors. So it's good to know that it's not just in my head, Ryan, that the science says that mobility is true as well. So yeah, you and me. It's important to say that uh, in the static outputs, the, the, sh the Shield 2 performed exactly like what the design was intended to. It does have the greatest shoulder mobility, um, but the Premier was a, a close second, which, which is what really impressed me overall. Nice. All right. Okay, Ryan, we took up way too much of your time. Um, we're going to have you on as a repeat guest, though. I hope that's okay, because I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this sort of pull back the curtain on some of the R&D that goes on at CCM and the projects you're involved with at Dalhousie to support that. Um, we will get into how the pad at some point, I mentioned it, can actually get to the ice faster than, than the knee in a butterfly drop. People are going to... I still think there's people that when they read me writing that, they don't believe it, but you proved it to me. So um, thank you so much for your time. Keep up all the great work. Uh, it's nice to have goaltenders looking out for goaltenders on the science side of things too. Thanks, Kev. Thanks for having me, and I'm happy to come out any other time. Goodwill hunting. That That's my image of, of you and Ryan sitting there uh, having that conversation, Woody, because it, it got so technical at times, and yet we were always able to uh, figure out exactly what you're talking about because of, of the world of goaltending and how really how how straightforward the conversation is when you get down to its basic instincts. Yeah, and Ryan's pretty good at, you know, we were mindful. We were talking to each other on Skype as we recorded. So um, 
there's a lot of hand gestures involved in our conversation, but we, he tried to be really mindful of the fact that, uh, you know, and he's obviously a much brighter guy than me, so he did a better job of it. Mindful of the fact that not everybody could see us talking to each other and see the gestures and sort of motions we were imitating. I thought he did a real nice job of describing all those range of motion things. So thanks to him for taking the time. And listen, this is just the start of something we're going to start mixing into the uh, the gear segment. It will continue to be brought to you by the Hockey Shop Source of Sports and thehockeyshop.com. Um, but we're going to mix in. We're going to mix in some industry guests from time to time. We've got some coming up from Bauer in the near future, and we're going to keep rotating that around a little bit and let you guys, yeah, start to get to know the people behind the gear that you uh, that you wear every day out there on the ice. It uh, it, it has me thinking now of Ed Belfour meets uh, a scientist, and and that's how how these these brainstorming sessions come through with uh, Francis Ouellette and and Ryan Frayne, and and that's sort of the back and forth. Uh, I mean, uh, Eddie, Eddie loved tinkering with his gear, and now you've got the science uh, to back it up. But CCM, a uh, big part of last week's show with, uh, with Carrie Price as well, and we're expanding on that over at uh, the Ingold website, uh, Hutch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, we mentioned in the podcast last week, we, we rolled out with that little audio of Carrie uh, teaching the kids how he tapes his stick and promised to put that up on the website, and we did with one little bit of a twist, and and that is that we actually put the video up from 2017 when we went back and looked at various years. The 2017 one uh, expanded into a longer conversation than just a little bit of stick taping. So we decided to uh, post that one for everybody this week. So go have a look over at ingolmag.com and uh, learn how Terry uh, Carrie types. <sighs> Try that again. So head over to ingolmag.com and check out how Kerry tapes his stick. One of the things I love about that video, by the way, guys, is that it starts with very humble Kerry. Uh, so I don't know. This is how I do it, but I'm not saying this is how you need to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, he seems perplexed that we're even interested, I think, in some ways. Um, so love that little video. So so head over there. Um, check that out. And also would mention that uh, Kevin was just talking about his conversation with Ryan Frayne, and, and it looked like really good video. We do record these conversations on video and audio, and I think we're going to try and get that up for everybody as well in the next little while. So if you're scratching your head about some of the science that was just discussed, uh, in a week or two, we'll have that up at ingolmag.com as well. And we let everybody know, by the way, by email uh, once a week, what's new on the site, what's new on the podcast. If you're not receiving those emails, please head over to Ingol and over on the right uh, right sidebar there, you can just put in your information and you'll hear from us weekly. What I love about that video and is if you look carefully at the stick taping, Carrie, like you said, he's kind of dismissive of, I, you know, I don't have to do it this way. But just as he starts, the kids in the corner are in the frame. As he starts going with the tape on the handle and just wrapping it around super fast, the smile on their faces and their eyes light up at like how fast he's taping the knob yeah. of his stick. Is just priceless and a real good sort of glimpse into, you know, what it's like to be one of those kids in that room is this, you know, Vesna Hart, multiple gold medal winning goaltender just basically swaps gear tips with you and answers your questions. So again, thanks to Eli Wilson goaltending and CCM uh, for making us a big part of that day and uh, hopefully to, for many years in the future. It's a blast. And I, hey, I, don't, I don't know if we've mentioned guys, it on. I, I don't know if we mentioned it on here. I was Darren. one of those ones. Yeah, Darren, I don't know if we've mentioned it on here before, but um, right after that stick taping, one of those kids went up to Carrie with his own stick. Uh, Carrie, would you tape my stick for me? And yeah, sure, bud. No problem at all. Uh, just fantastic. 
Uh, I was one of those people that was uh, jaw dropped uh, watching him go so fast when he, when he when he was taping his stick because I'm I'm just I'm neurotic when it. I, Mark Savard and I have had conversations about taping sticks, and he's great at doing it with with player sticks and doing uh, being able to explain it. Uh, but I'm so slow and and methodical uh, uh, about it. And uh, watching Kerry go, I was I was, I was fascinated. Hey. Um, do you guys uh, do you guys know why he only tapes halfway down his blade or or three quarters down his blade? Doesn't tape the heel of a stick. Uh, either one of you. He's talked about it in subsequent years, and that's actually a great segue, Darren, because I'm going to make you wait. Um, mm-hmm. That was the one thing about choosing 2017. Uh, it was the best video. It was the longest video. But every year, well, first of all, it's evolved. He's changed some of his preferences. So. In the beginning, Darren, he used to have a grip surface, sort of a almost like a sandpaper type grit on the blade of his stick right through to the heel. And so the tape, uh, by not taping over that, it left sort of some of that grit exposed and he felt he got a little more grip on the puck. But he's gone away from that because he just kind of felt like, man, maybe it doesn't make a difference. But every year we pick <laughs> up little different tidbits. And this year he actually talked about why he tapes, why he starts there. Um, but also why he tapes from the heel out to the toe and talks about how all the European and Russian players in his locker room go the other way and how he's correct. So for our <laughs> listeners and for Darren, keep an eye on that site because we posted one main video, but we're going through all the other years as we went through and chose, we're like, okay, this is the best like sort of example overall, but there's unique little tidbits every year that we're in the process of pulling the video on. And we'll start adding that to the post and adding that to our social media so that you'll kind of get to see the evolution. And little answers like that, as kids ask from year to year different questions and he answers them, we'll start building that out on that page. I like it. Uh, that's why, that's why the, I'm here, is to, to ask these questions that 12-year-olds would ask. I think that's what Woody We're was saying, right? We're all 12 right? at heart. We're all 12 at heart. <laughs> hey, let's be honest. The best Q&A I've ever run 31 episodes in is when I turned it over to the kids. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we look forward to that uh, over at uh, InGoal, uh, the website. Uh, we go back to our feature interview now. And remember, it's Mike Condon, a Tiger, Canadian, Penguin, a Senator, and now working his way back with the Lightning. Now, Healthy, the 29-year-old, has been in the British Columbia's Okanagan for the summer, testing the, the body, not his upper body, but everything about his body, not to be confused with the upper body gear that we just talked about with Ryan Frayne. He tried to get his game back together. Here's Mike Condon now in conversation with Kevin Woodley on In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey, and thehockeyshop.com. So we're here in Kelowna, British Columbia with Mike Condon. And a lot of people are going to be like, Mike Condon in Kelowna, British Columbia. <laughs> and I guess we could kind of start there. The path yeah. there, like the road to here is sort of, there's a lot of different turns that led here. So catch us up a little bit. Yeah. Obviously, the public knows that uh, the trade to Tampa Bay from Ottawa, we knew you missed some time with an injury. I'm not sure everyone really grasps just how much of a battle back that was from the injury but mm-hmm. now in Kelowna working with Adam Francilia you we saw you out at the net 360 camp um catch us up catch us up how you got to here yeah well I mean obviously this year was was very difficult with injuries and everything and um 
I was trying to make it back as best I could, but my, my body wasn't really letting me. So, you know, I remember talking to you when I was in Belleville at the end of the year, when they were in the, making that playoff push, I was skating with the AHL team, trying to, trying to get back. And I was just searching for someone, uh, you know, the, the right mind to, you know, get, get on this, this hip and get on this, you know, this full systemic issue that I've been having. And, um, you know, it was, it was yourself who, who brought up the idea of coming out to Kelowna and, 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 and offering up this, this idea of coming up and seeing, seeing Adam. And, you know, I usually spend my summers over in, in Boston and, uh, obviously what I was doing wasn't working and I needed to make a change and I needed to, um, get a fresh set of eyes on, on, on my physical fitness and my, in my mobility. And, uh, you know, here we are and been out here since June 5th and got about a week left. Um, and then trying to hit the camp running. So it's been a great summer and, you know, very, very happy with the progress so far. Okay. Full disclosure. I think I passed along the number. Yeah. So maybe I'd written something that you, or something that you thought about coming, but I don't think I suggested him. So in case there's another agent (laughs) or another like trainer out there that's pissed that you're here, it's not my fault. Don't blame me. No, no. You got, you got me the number. number, You got me to connect. I'm glad glad to hear it's it's gone very well out here. Um, catch us up as best you can on the hip hmm. and the process to hear you yeah. ended up having another surgery. Cause I know yeah. hip surgery is a part of your past before as well in 2011. Yeah. 2011, I was 21. I had uh, cam lesions on my hip it was just basically bone spurs. So they had to shave the top of the femur, reattach the labrum, um, clean out any junk that was floating around in there. And, uh, I had that surgery done and, and, um, I had a lot of, I was able to play. I didn't miss any time. I got it done in March and April and I was able to return in August to my You're college, at Princeton, yeah, at, Princeton at my yeah. college season. So I didn't miss any games, but, um, I think that just the, the advances in physical fitness and the knowledge that we have about the body. I don't think my, my rehab process was as good as it could have been back in 2011, looking at what I know now. So there's a little bit of hindsight with, with that whole thing and how I came back. Um, and I've been dealing with subsequent issues from that for about, I don't know, the, the seven or seven or eight years from where I've am now. So, um, that was a difficult time, but for me, like I started getting, uh, some, some, some catching in the joint, probably in about late August last year when I was really ramping up my training, I I just kept every time I would go down and get this catching sensation on my, my left hip, this, this pinching, it, it it wasn't so much a joint. I didn't, I didn't really know what it was. And, um, I started seeing a bunch of people, started getting a bunch of opinions, seeing what was going on, um, come to camp, you know, play, play was okay. Body was feeling okay. Had a good game of preseason against, uh, Chicago. Um, but in the back of my mind, I just didn't feel right. I didn't feel symmetrical. I didn't feel like I had a lot of power. And, uh, I was very hesitant cause I kept on getting this pain. So when you get that guarding sensation in the body, it's, it's not a very f- fun emotion and you can't really just play free because it's kind of in the back of your subconscious bouncing around your head. So I would imagine you probably start protecting it yeah. by moving in ways that yeah. probably don't help other areas of the body. Yeah. So guess. these compensation patterns are, are difficult. The body's an amazing machine. It will find its way to, to get the movement done that you want to do, but it may not be the most efficient and using the right muscle group. And that's just basically the root of most injuries, most non-contact injuries at least. So. Um, I played those two games at the start of the season. I played in Boston and I, I couldn't flare my leg out, my left leg out. Um, it was, it was tough. I was just trying to get by. And then we played that game in Arizona and, um, couldn't really move. And 
letting that goal from, you know, halfway through center ice. And then, you know, next morning I'm on waivers and I'm, I'm down in, um, Belleville. So right after that, and before I got reassigned to, to Belleville, I went to the staff in Ottawa and I just said, you know, I, I need to, I need to get a cortisone shot or something to, to calm this down. Cause it was, it was barking pretty bad. So I got the cortisone shot and that actually revealed a lot more issues that I had systemically in terms of my alignment and the, um, it just started rubbing a lot more. So all the guarding that I had was taken away by the cortisone. I went and played one game in Belleville against the Marlies. We won seven, six, but, uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was an ugly one, got the W, but, um, there wasn't much rotation. There wasn't much, um, no butterfly there was no flare. butterfly flare. I think I let in like three backdoor goals, well, not backdoor two on one. And it wasn't a rotate plant push. It was just a turn and dive. So it was you're basically play, at this point, you're basically playing on one leg. Yeah. Yeah. You, you could, you could probably say that. So after, after that game, I, I went back to Ottawa and I said to the guys like something, something's not right. We need to get this fixed. When saw Dr. Kelly, we saw a bunch of doctors, MRIs in the back, MRIs on both hips, checking it out. Um, and I got good feedback. They said that, you know, your back is very atrophied. You don't have a lot of muscle on your back. Your lumbar um, mobility is, is not very good. So that means your hips have to do a lot. And the hip joint looks good. We just got to find a way to get that lumbar mobility and to tell your brain to calm down and this neurological guarding pattern that you have. You need, we need to get rid of it. So the best way to do that was to get a stem cell injection. So I went to Dr. Kelly in New York hospital, special surgery, and I got the stem cell done. Uh, my own stem cells from my iliac crests, they flush the joint out and then they inject, um, your own stem cells in into the hip joint, into the hip joint. Yeah. Okay. So it was, it, it was a full surgery, uh, arthroscopic, and then I was laid up for about four or five days, and then I, I, I started the process again. So, so now, but there, but did this, when you say it's a full surgery, is there mm. any like labrum damage or repairing at all? Or it's just that injection. It, it was just that. It was just that injection. So the, the labrum was fine. Um, you know, Which is, hip, I mean, yeah. that's a good thing, right? The hip joint was fine. They just, they just saw that I was rubbing on one spot that was so I was anatomically incorrect, and it was causing this rubbing and this inflammation pattern on one on one side so uh the best thing to do is to flush that out and to try and uh heal it with a stem cell injection but the misnomer with stem cells is it doesn't regrow tissue as, as people think it's more of a a calming thing for inflammatory patterns which can neurologically help your body relax and to to put weight back on that leg so that was in that was uh right after thanksgiving okay so that's yeah. and and so you're out till because there was, a, I don't want to say secrecy, but there wasn't a lot known. It kind of, yep. Mike Conn, it kind of disappeared off the face mm-hmm. of the goaltending earth. And, yep. and people were wondering, so so what was that process like to come back? Are you just trying to rest and wait and then trying to restart it? Walk us through how. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was I was in Ottawa and I was just working with uh, their staff there on, on, on trying to get stronger, trying to get back, trying to, to feel good every single day. Um, you know, for three, four hours in the morning, you know, try and try and go do a yoga at night, two a days, trying to just move and feel better. And, um, I didn't, I haven't really, you know, I didn't, I wasn't able to get there. I was skating. I was trying to get there. I was, I was doing the best I could to, to move, but the, the, something was still not right. And I didn't, I didn't really know what it was. And that was probably the worst part about it is the anxiety and the insecurity about not knowing what the issue is. You tear your ACL, you know what the protocol is, you know how to fix it, you know where to go, and you know what to expect. With something that like this, that's um, 
you don't know where the problem originates from, right? And I think like I, like this, you hear this about concussions all the time, right? It's yeah. the uncertainty that yeah. becomes such a mental anguish. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And there's always a saying with the body to where it is, it isn't where you're getting the pain isn't exactly what is what causing it, right? So most of my pain was in my left hip, but after coming out here and, and working with Adam and, and, and really just trying to figure out what's going on, it was multiple other places over years of bad compensation patterns that led me to this point right now. And my body just said, no, no more. Probably and, dating back to 2011. Like that. Yeah. It's been a slow process. It's been a, it's been a slow, uh, well, that's a lot of things yeah. it's slow, but that's a lot of things that could build up. Mm. So how have you reset? Like how, where are you now? How are yeah. you feeling? Um, I mean, it's hard to describe a lot of what a friend does. Yeah. We actually just finished a podcast uh, interview with him. That was well over an hour that I think a lot of goalies are going to love mm-hmm. as long as they're willing to wade through some of the, uh, and you know, have some patience in some of the descriptives. Yeah. Um, but that's going to run after this. So what, in your words, what's changed, what's different about what you guys have been doing that's allowed you to, to feel better about this process? I think a good place to start with that question is, is basically just like goalie fitness. Like how do, how do goalies train? How do goalies move? What do they need? What do they don't need? I came from a, uh, you know, the college background for any college hockey players or anyone who played out there. They know it's very weight intensive it's it's a lot of olympic lifting it's your it's your front squat it's your hand clean it's your bench press a lot of weight a lot of a lot of stress on the spine and the body a lot of things and that have nothing to do with stopping pucks with all due respect <laughs> as i've gotten older like <laughs> with all due respect i um everything that i've learned is counterintuitive to what i've been doing when i was younger so um now it's more just about not about having these huge muscle groups. It's it's just about being as limber and as mobile as possible, because um, when you move when you're moving those heavy weights, you're not moving them very fast. You're you're moving them slow, and you're training your body to be slow, and you're also becoming muscle bound. And you may not be moving it the right way. Like I was saying earlier, I was able to play, but I wasn't moving the right way, and that's where you get those bad patterns from. So now it's just basically about feeling good. It's about mobility. It's about um, just getting from A to B the right way doesn't, you don't have to be this jacked monster. You don't, I think too many people put pressure on goalies to be a certain weight or to look a certain way. But I mean, some of the best goalies out there, you look at their bodies and you're like, oh, this guy's a professional athlete. You know, like these guys are gangly. You're supposed to be long and gangly and lean and pliable. Those, those are the things you want to be as a goalie. Cause it's such a reactive, explosive, uh, pliable position. So, I, and yet, I don't know if any of them still have it. But we're not that far removed from me being told about guys who had to meet bench press minimums mm-hmm. at their training camps for NHL teams. So absolutely, we're not there yet. We're not. Yeah, we're not. We're not there yet. But uh, coming out here has, has just has, has really uh, just reinforced that that um, that idea of just like let's let's be as mobile as possible. Let's be as symmetrical as possible. Let's get those deep intrinsic muscles that we need to to do what we need to do and. Um, I've gotten a lot stronger without having to put up a ton of weight this year. So it's just finding my own natural strength, being comfortable in these movements and knowing how to do it neurologically. So, um, I'm, I'm very happy with the successful, uh, with the progress so far and been skating for about a month now and, uh, well on track to be a hundred percent in camp and, 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 uh, and ready to rock and, and compete, uh, when the puck drops. Been, has it been different? I got the one more last one about mm-hmm. a friend and his yeah. work, but different to do your off ice on the ice sometimes. 
Yeah. I, I, it's funny. Cause last summer I was actually like, I was just on Instagram and, and this has been an issue too, is that, you know, we, we go on Instagram, we see all these goalies doing all these different drills, all these different tracking drills, ball drills, um, on ice drills. And I, I remember seeing Adam with, with, uh, Connor Hellebuck and they had a, had a bungee cord on him and he was doing shuffles and I'm sitting there and I'm like, geez, I haven't done that all summer. <laughs> you know, I have never done that. And so instantly it was like, I call my trainer up back home. Like we need a bungee cord and we need ice and we need to get out there, even though we have no idea what we're doing. Like, it's just that, uh, you know, it's comparing yourself to others and then their training can, can not, can be a bad process as the well, saying I, goes. I think we have, we might have a whole another episode on that one. Actually. Yeah. It's funny. Cause we talked about it with a round too. Yep. Um, one of the videos that we posted, you probably saw it a couple of years ago, was Dubnik doing the collapsing five pole squat. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we, I know other trainers were like, you know, had goalies saying like, I need to do this. And they were like, no, no, this isn't a good thing for your knees. And yep. and truth, tr- and, th- and that could be true if you're not, yep. you know, all the work Adam talked about, like there was a two-year process to get to that. Oh, yeah. And there's, you know, the, there's a tucked pelvis and there's all these other things that he's trying to maintain to get to that range of motion mm-hmm. without doing damage. So kids going out there and copying it yeah that wasn't what we were after with instagram so i, I think yeah. we at ingle too have to be careful of this mm. because you do end up having kids see what you guys are doing yep. and rush out to try it so little note we are we are yep. working on that we're working on some deeper <laughs> more thorough explanations yeah so that it's not just instagram yep. people can understand the the what the why and the how and before they try and do it you know do not do this at home apply so yeah it, in some ways it's good to know that even you guys are watching it, but in yeah. other ways, it's it's a good lesson that we need to be careful what we put out there. That's true. You know, you have to take things with a grain of salt, especially what you see on the internet. And obviously, there's a, what's the saying: comparison is the thief of joy. When you, whenever you go on Instagram, like it's, I always like to see what other people are doing just to see how their boys are training. But um, it, it can often make you feel insecure about what you're doing, even though if what you're doing is working for you, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But right. also, you know. Be, always be curious it's but constantly don't, yeah, ev- yeah. evolving position so i i always found that guys like yourself that were always looking for what's next mm. um to me i always thought that was a good thing yeah. right because you're yeah. looking to make sure you're on top of things. yeah to an extent as we just mentioned <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> i've learned that with other guys too yeah. so um okay so so what was your experience like when you when you did all of a sudden with a friend yeah and the bungee cords are out or the medicine balls are out or yeah. i even saw some stuff that looked like dodgeball this summer well, I mean, it was just like my first day here. We were we were getting in and stuff, and I was looking around, and everyone was dropping into the to the the, the aforementioned Dubnik squad. And then he has a picture of me in it on day one. And as I was doing it, I could barely get like you know a foot into it. And then he took a picture of it. And he came up to me. He's like, "We're gonna compare this at the end of the summer, and it's gonna be okay." And I was like, "All right, everyone starts somewhere." So this is where I was starting with it. So. I'm excited to see what that picture is going to be in a week or two because I've been working on it a lot and you'll, I'm sure you'll see it before and after, but, um, it's just a different way to, to approach it. Um, the medicine balls, the, the, the bungee cords, it's all just attacking different parts of the game that in order to make us move better. Um, and it's just, it's just another tool in your toolbox for, for me at least. And it's been very eye opening, and, um, I have a lot of work to do on it, but, um, you know, you, you see the goal of these goalies who are at net 360 and you see who his clients are and, and the success that they've been having and their ability to to stay healthy too is just a testament to, to what he's doing out here. Okay, and a lot of the stuff he does off the ice or on the ice mm-hmm. is all designed to pr- getting the right muscles to uh, initiate, trigger, mm-hmm. 
reinforce proper movement patterns, uh, getting rid of some of the counter rotation in the game that actually, I mean, not that long ago was taught, you know, as a, as a load, like yeah. that's how you load by counter rotating yeah. the upper body. How have you felt as you started to get back on the ice mm-hmm. um, and, and been able to apply some of that? Do you see advantages in some sort of a different style? There's some delays in that old style of thinking yeah. that in a perfect world, I think this would eliminate, but does it translate easily onto the ice? It does, yeah. Like we, as we were watching clips earlier of, of myself, and I was watching it, and I was like cringing watching myself play. I was like, my hands were everywhere. Like I was counter rotating, using my hands for balance. Like no, no core strength, just just all over the place. And then, and then skating with, you know, over the last month, um, everything's just been a lot simpler. I was making my life so much harder in the past, um, basically because I wasn't strong where I needed to be. I could bench two twenty five, but I couldn't, you know counter rotate and push the right way my obliques weren't firing simple things like that so um it looked good in the mirror but it wasn't good on the ice so having come out here and done that i've i've noticed in myself that the game is a lot easier um it's a lot slower and i'm, and I'm finding things I, I, it's just slowing down more i was so i was moving way too fast um way too hectic and my body's just more calm and i'm more stable and when you're stable you can make more saves and you're on top of puck. You're on forward. top of puck. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And have you? And you've had a chance to work a little bit with Lyle Mast. That's a. Yep. That's a new philosophy. It's something obviously I'm entrenched yeah. in. I always like to ask guys because sometimes when you're entrenched in it, you you don't know what the outside. You know, you can force for the trees, right? Mm-hmm. This is what I've seen. I, I I know there's aspects of it that I certainly believe in it. Some people would say maybe I believe too much in yep. it. So what's been your just starting off experience there? I've. Um... Full transparency, I skated with Lyle once so far. I have, okay, I have so two, just I have, getting started. Yeah, I have two more uh, this week with him, and uh, I, I've, I've been speaking with a lot of goalies who work with them. Uh, I've been obviously been out here with James Reimer, and right, he's been so. a he's been a really good mentor in this adjusting to this new program. So you know, shout out to to Rhymes. He's he's been a, a great mentor in that. But uh, Lyle's approach to the game is just is just very simple. I mean, this position, as people say, it can be as complicated or as simple as you want it to be. And speaking with him, it just made things a lot more simple. Um, focusing on, you know, my, well, there's so many different terms, head trajectory, all this stuff. But for me, it was just my neck positioning. My, my neck was cranked back and what they call like a kyphosis on the top of the spine. Like there's like a big bend in your neck. And I'm almost, you know, looking down the bottom of my eye sockets as opposed to tucking my chin just a little bit more, still relaxed, seeing through the center of my eyes. And letting my eyes do the work, letting my eyes guide my frame instead of my frame guiding my eyes. Because a lot of times my body would be moving before I even found where the puck was going, and now you're just playing catch-up. So for me, it's taking that extra half second that goalies don't think they have, which you, which you do. You know, Take that extra half second, find it, lock onto it, and your body is just going to follow You know, that cervical spine where your eyes are. Your body will follow it. And it's just so much more simple. So and it ties into a lot of the again we talked about counter yeah. rotation and hands flailing. Like yeah, the early eyes dictate rotation that and all the things that you're working on with your body, the obliques firing mm-hmm. and that chain moving yeah. into the puck rather than one direction moving one way and the other one. Absolutely, I think what Lyle's doing, what Adam Adam does too. They they their complements and their supplements they work very well together. So I'm I'm 
I'm very lucky to have the opportunity to come out with, with uh, and work with both of them so far. Doesn't hurt that it's 30 degrees outside right <laughs> it now. It doesn't hurt either. It's not. There's a reason yeah. you can't hit a nine iron here without running into an NHL player. It well, is a beautiful part of the world. Well, it is tough. The sun's tough out here. So from the hours between 10 and 3, I, I got I to gotta go hibernate because my, my complexion doesn't let me stay out in the sun too long. So <laughs> we, we share that quality. Um, big hats. Yes, yeah, exactly. Big, big hats exactly. and lots of sunscreen. Yeah. Okay. Hey, listen, I didn't mean for the, the start of this to be 20 minutes just catching people up. Because I really want to get into the path. Yeah. And you've you've had a really good career. And I know it's going to continue. And this is the path you're on now. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a career you necessarily planned on. When you went yeah. to Princeton and, and just walk, like, let's go way back. Yeah. When did you, you first start playing goal? What, what did you love about it? What turned you into a goalie? Uh, let's see. So I'll start from the start. Uh, I grew up in Holliston, Massachusetts, which, which is about 40 minutes to an hour outside Boston, suburbs, not a lot going on, very, very small towny. Um, my brother was five years older than me. He was playing hockey at the time. We had a really long driveway and we just got a pave with fresh asphalt, right? So we were the driveway to play street hockey and everyone wanted to come play there. It was a destination. And I wanted to hang out. So I'm, I'm five years younger, so I'm probably, I don't know, seven or eight. He's 13, 12, 13. And if I want to hang out with the big kids, I got to play goal because nobody else does. And I wanted to hang out. So I stood in there and we didn't have that great, the great gear. I think I was wearing those Milik pads that are just basically big rectangles. And dude, was it one of those orange balls and frozen and hurt? <laughs> no, I think they were nice enough to use a tennis ball at the okay. time. So it was moving a little those bit. Things <laughs> hurt, yeah, those, those things hurt, man. Those things hurt. Those things. I don't think they were that cruel, but they, they were shooting it pretty good. And um, I always loved playing sports. Sports always always came natural naturally to me. So um, I just stood in there and um, I looked up to my older brother and he was playing and I wanted to play and I wanted to be like him and I just I just followed him through through uh, you know his career and, and tried to emulate and mimic what he did and um, ultimately got to a position where went to a random tryout just for ice time for a, a local travel team that was the Boston Junior Eagles. Um, didn't think to make it. I think there was 12 goalies on the ice, something like that. I had a red Cooper, uh, red and black Cooper uh, player's helmet. I had a uh, red and black Sherwood pads. And I had a Dominic Hoshik, uh red and black jersey on. So I was looking the part. I was looking right. squared away. At least you had the Hashik jersey to match the helmet. You no, know it's style matters. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's what got me noticed. <laughs> I think everything matching is what got me noticed. But I ended up making that team. Um, that was, uh, the McNamara family. They're, they're a close family friend of mine. And, uh, well now they are, and they they, they picked me for that team. And that translated into seventh grade when I was 13, I applied to a prep school called Belmont Hill. Um, that was about an uh, hour and a half from where I grew up from. So it was a, it was a big commitment. And, um, I started to realize that hockey could open up pathways for me to, increased my standard of living pretty much to give me a better opportunity to um, see more about this world and to, and to create a better life uh, for myself. So you and when you say that, you meant like education, like education. Yeah. My, my dad played, uh, he was a, he was a pretty, pretty good football player. He went to Indiana university, Pennsylvania. My brother was a decent hockey player. Um, but these two guys were constantly instilling in me that, um, that they had a lot of regret about their preparation and the effort that they put in or the awareness that they had of opportunities. For my brother, we didn't really know much about D1 hockey, juniors, uh, how to get there, what's the route, prep schools. So it, it was, I, I kind of felt for him, but we just didn't know. I was able to be exposed to that path and um, 
I just had two two former athletes just leading by example and telling me, you know, if you want to do this, you can, but it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of sacrifice, and it's up to you. So, um, Belmont Hill, seventh grade, went there for until uh, twelfth grade. Graduated there in um, two thousand nine. Um, I only played two years there on the varsity. I, I made it my sophomore year. Played one game, <laughs> ironically against Casey DeSmith. Really? And he was at Berwick Academy. Yeah, he was. Uh, we we used to train together at Stop at Goaltending back on the East Coast. So I remember seeing Casey playing him, and that was my one game sophomore year. Um, played my junior year. Um, I always my goal was to play hockey east. I wanted to go to BC, BU, Harvard, Northeastern. They play in the Bean Pot and on the yeah. East Coast. That's the end all, be all. That's what is it? What what it is? It's on TV every Friday night. The, yeah, that's the big the, bands, the big crowds. I grew up watching. I went end up going to those games all the time. That's what I wanted to do. And I remember um, I made the team. I was I think I had five goalies behind me, four goalies behind me on the on the roster at Belmont Hill my junior year. So there was a lot of back pressure coming up. Um, we ended up playing Nobles the first game. Ended up doing really well. Went on a run. Run won like seven or eight games in a row all of a sudden B was calling BC's calling oh like my dreams are coming true this is great I love it and then <laughs> I think I lost like six games in a row seven games in a row and well, after going right up yeah after going to visits and and, and and getting you know comp tickets or uh unofficial visits and, and going in the locker room to those schools and uh those calls didn't come anymore but throughout that process I had a, I, I met a uh coach named Matt Lindsay who was at the national uh what do they call it you team USA uh, national development national develop uh, it's I wasn't NTDP exactly okay but it was like the the satellite Precursor camp that? that they have every okay. year for like U seventeen U eighteen so okay. I made that I met him and uh, we stayed in contact at the time he was the coach at Princeton and um, throughout the year ended up, ended up salvaging the year ended up finishing pretty good and at the end of my junior year ended up going down to Princeton when you know the other schools weren't weren't talking to me anymore and I went down there with my dad and we were, we just walked the campus and. You know, it's just a, it's a very special place that a lot of people in New England don't really know about. They think about Harvard. Right. That's their end all be all. But more south, it's, you know, Princeton's, you know, one of the, the echelon. Kind of a I big deal, school. man. It's kind of Come a big on. deal, right? Hey, so, you like, you're like yeah. down, like, dude, you're, you're <laughs> downplaying Princeton, man. Yeah, no, it's no. Princeton. No, it's, it's. I'm from Vancouver. I know what Princeton yeah, is. Yeah, trying to be humble. Trying to be humble <laughs> okay, here. Okay, okay. I'm not going to let you be too humble but, here. It's uh, Princeton, yeah, dude. I mean, I'm sitting there with my dad just to. You know, a couple of guys from a small town in the, in the middle of Ver- Mat- nowhere, Massachusetts, and you know the the coach is, is taking us through Albert Einstein's lecture hall and stuff. So at the end of that visit, we're sitting there, and my dad actually <laughs> he committed for me. He's like, "Coach, I think we're gonna come here." And I, I'm like 18. I'm like, "Hey, hey, 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 hey! Let's 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 wait for the drive back here." So uh, ended up committing there in my end of my junior year, and um, yeah, I went I went there. I didn't take any juniors off. Had a good senior year. Um, oh, there was the draft too. I was the draft was sniffing around. That was a, uh, I think I was supposed to go to Ottawa in the seventh round or something like that. There was always there's always those rumblings around right. people at the rink. All that always rumbling, spread, spreading rumors, and then it doesn't end up happening. It's it's always a kick to the ego. So, so what? Where did you? So that year, as yeah. you're thinking you might get drafted, what was yeah. the approach? Like, you obviously, didn't go to the draft. No, no, no. I but didn't, you're. Didn't, yeah. I mean, how t- how tough is that when you? Yeah, because we see that a lot of kids mm. go through it. We had some friends go through it this year in Vancouver, yeah. trying to make the decision. Some teams were, you know, sniffing around, and yeah, you know, be honest, some kids that I thought would get drafted and they end up not getting drafted, and a tough. But you know, especially when you're, they ended up not coming into the building. 
but mm. they were right there, you know? Like, so what's that like? What's, what would yeah. your be advice to a kid in that spot? What's tough at that age. It's, it's, it's your end all be all goal. It's, it's the, it's, you know, it's the ultimate, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's the, the ultimate af- affirmation of, 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 of fulfilling your dreams and all that. And I think the problem with, with society now in terms of goaltending is just that there's so many different, uh, voices and opinions and kids can't really get away from them there was no instagram back in 2008 i didn't i, I would get little texts here and there maybe a, a snippet from the family advisor or something like that but today it's just everyone's comparing themselves to each other and there's all this hype and you know if I, like, what am i if i don't get drafted and all this validation type stuff i think it's it's difficult and when in reality if you're going in the seventh or sixth round i mean you might be better off not getting drafted you know, unless you're one of those guys, you no know, shout out. I mean, all the best to those guys who are drafted. It's a tremendous accomplishment. I'll say that good and bad to every situation. So, um, but it doesn't have to be an end all be all. It doesn't yeah, have to define. It's not going to make or break sure. you. No, yeah. no. But I mean, like I, I usually call it national free agent day, you know? So I'd rather be able to choose where I'm going to go as opposed to have it dictated for having dictated for me. So that's, if, if you're drafted, that's great. Try to climb that ladder. If not, you know, try to dictate to where you want to go. I think that's a good way to put it. Okay. So not drafted, mm-hmm. Princeton. Yeah. And you go through that. Uh, like you said, good senior season. Mm-hmm. Is there a point there where professional hockey, like you went there with the goal of, you know, mm-hmm. using it as a stepping stone to a better life. You're yeah. going to an Ivy League school. Yeah. You're getting an education. What are you taking? And But was there a point along there where you started thinking about pro hockey or even pro hockey at all or the NHL in, spe- in particular? Uh, there, there always was a, in, in the back of my head, there was always, uh, there was always a possibility, right? Um, I was kind of realistic with my approach. Like I'm coming here cause I can, I can do both. I can set myself up for a career in something other than hockey. And if I get the opportunity, if I make the most of it, I can play hockey. Cause right before I came there in 2008, they were, they were a very good team. They had Zane Columba there it was a Hobie Hattrick finalist and he was getting NHL offers and couple of their big names. So guys do sign out of there. George Peros, Jeff yeah. Halpern, uh, Daryl Marcoux. No, not Daryl Marcoux. Sorry, Daryl Powell. Um, a, lot of, a lot of names. So you, you can go pro out of there. But my first year, I played four games. Right. My second year, I played 10, maybe. My junior year, I played 11. And my senior year, I played 24. So 14 and 24. 14. Sorry. 14. Can't, you can't short chain yourself. <laughs> 919 save percentage too in those 14 there, games. There like, we, come on. There we go. There we go. Yeah. So... Um, it wasn't looking good. I can say, I can, looking back to my mentality, then it wasn't looking good. I remember um, at the end of my junior year, we lost to Yale. I didn't even play that game in the playoffs. And I was already, the big thing at those schools is getting internships, especially in finance and private equity and investment banking and all that stuff. And so all my peers who I'm studying with and even some of the kids who are playing on the team, they're starting to look past graduating and I was starting to look past hockey and I couldn't help but get caught up in that too. Um, everyone was getting these Deutsche Bank uh, internships and they're, and they're setting themselves up for future life and I'm sitting here like, oh Lord. So I, uh, I made a good friend and he worked for a supply side investment company um, and I, I hit him up. He was actually trying to buy one of my masks. He was a, he was a jersey collector. His name's Jason Seidel and he's a, he's a good buddy of mine and and he was working for a company called Dalman Rose. And I, I reached out to him because after he tried to buy one of my helmets, I saw his his signature at the bottom of his email. 
and it was all this stuff. And I didn't have the the GPA to get into Stanley Morgan or any uh, Morgan Stanley or any of those companies. So I was like, Hey man, like, can I come in for an interview? So after we lose the Yale, we drive back to to Princeton, which is about an hour and a half. I got this long, greasy red hair. I look like an absolute, you know, degenerate. <laughs> so I get up at like five. Four, I got to be there in New York City at like six a.m. I, I get up at like three thirty. I I I have a whole can of Axe gel to keep the to keep this mane tamed. I I go to New Jersey Transit, the the train station there, and I, and I'm I'm doing it. I'm doing the race with, with everybody who's going to work in New York this mo- that morning. So I'm getting a taste of it. I'm sitting on the platform and the train came, comes up and everyone like sees this train coming. Everyone's huddling up and they're, and they're getting in a position. They're trying to figure out where the door is going to be. And, and the door opens and then there's this lady next, next to me. And I'm like, I'm like, oh no, you can go. And then I let her in and I get on there and I realize that there's no seats. It is shoulder to shoulder and it's an hour and 15 minute train ride. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, okay, lesson one, <laughs> lesson, lesson one, here we go. It's like, I ride the train, you get dropped off at Penn Station. It's just an absolute, it's a, it's a tough place for people who have been there. It's hot, it smells, you know, people, there's a, there's a homeless guy at the bottom of the stairs and people are walking over him in their suits. And it was just kind of like, it was, it was weird for me to, to see that. And I'm like, oh, like I'm, I'm one of these people now or potentially, right. I get in there and I'm a political science major with international relations and I'm interviewing for a, um, investment uh, supply side investment firm and I know nothing about what they do or the basic economic trends at the time and I get asked some some crazy questions there's a some lady asked me I think it was like there's a supply side shock of Freon and you're selling refrigerators what do you do or something like that <laughs> I had no idea what, was, what the answer is and I'm trying to trying to bullshit VH? Yeah, 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 I'm trying to bullshit these people like I know what I'm saying and like they're all like looking at me like looking around and Looking at my buddy who uh, who vouched for me, and um, he's like, I remember it was all over. I interviewed with six people. He's like, Hey, you know, uh, you should probably try and play hockey. <laughs> this is Wall Street's not going anywhere. He wasn't being rude, but he was right. like, He's like, this isn't going anywhere. You can do this if you want, but this why don't will you, always be this here. This will always be here. Why don't you take a shot? So I said, Okay, and still in touch with him this day, and that ended up being some of the best advice I ever got. I was I was so caught up in what others were doing at the school. I want to be part of the pack. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to do what others were doing in reality. You know, the path less traveled is sometimes the best one. So from there, you go in your senior season, get a chance to play, earn a chance to play chance 24 to play. games, 923. Yep. As that year goes on. And then from there, you finish that year in the coast mm-hmm. and Ontario. Walk me through how you end yeah. up in the coast. This is yes. Yeah, uh, where this opportunity comes from. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, there there is there are exams being studied for on bus rides in the East Coast Hockey League. I remember writing this story yeah. way back when, and it's a good one. So share it with our listeners. This is a wild one. Um, so we lose to Cornell my senior year. Um, kind of like don't really have an agent at the time. Things weren't looking good. There's no there's no rumblings. There's nobody sniffing around that they want to sign me after I, I I'm done playing. I think I won eight games. And so I can't really blame them, right? So I I, I kind of see the writing on the wall. Um, hey, again, nine twenty three. Nine twenty three. I mean, okay, it's, it's, it's right. not all Props, on you. Those Props, but, the, the only eight wins, I think. But for college hockey, for seniors, undrafted seniors in college hockey, it's there's usually four or five who get signed, and they're usually have big win numbers. And it's not really about stats, but winning. 
Right. It's about winning. That's that's how I think those a sad reality of our, that's how those scouts yeah. sell the goalies is, is unless you're like a technical phenom who's got a nine forty on a one and forty team, it's, it's probably not looking good. So uh, I'm looking around, scrambling, trying to find an agent, trying to find an opportunity. No one's calling. One week goes by, two week go by. At this stage in my academic career, I'm taking two classes. And I have a senior thesis to write. It's a requirement for all Princeton students. You got to write a senior thesis. Wow. And when you're not in a math department or a, or a mathematics or engineering-based department, you have to write a lot. I was going to say, like, yeah. I, like, I mean, I got a buddy who's been working on his PhD for a while. I yeah. know what this entails. Like yeah. A thesis is no small So for mine, so task. for political science, uh, it's probably around 120, 130 pages for like an average thesis. Wow. And now it's March. It's due. I think it's due May, like May. No, it's due like April twenty eight. It was my, my, my around my birthday, April twenty seventh, around that time. And uh, <laughs> and I hadn't started yet. And my my college hockey career just ended. No no idea what's going to happen with this. I think I could probably grease a coast job next year. With my credentials maybe go to a camp. Um, my goalie coach at the school hooks me up with his agent named Michael Wolken and who represented him when he played his name. My goalie coach's name is Greg Gardner. He was a very good goalie at, yeah, at uh, Niagara him. and, um, he's now the goalie coach at Mercyhurst. Right. So he hooked me up with that agent and we're, and we're calling around, we're trying to find stuff. There's, there's a couple nibbles here or there. And then finally the, the Ontario rain call. You know, like our goalie just hurt his knee. We need you to come out. So I'm in New Jersey and I go, okay, Ontario, coach. California folks, not Ontario, Canada. <laughs> but here's the problem. I thought it was Ontario, Canada. You so did. Yeah, I did. I didn't know it was East coast hockey league. Why is there a team in Ontario, California? I, I would be lying yeah. if I said it, there were a few years where I thought the same thing before yeah. I figured it out too. So yeah. we're, we're both. So, I, so I'm sitting there. I said, okay, coach, I got my stuff packed. I got my passport ready to rip up to Ontario. Just, uh, just give me the go, give me the green light. And he's like, you're going to drive to California from New Jersey. And I was like, it was like long pause. Okay. I need a plane ticket. <laughs> so I, I get on that plane. Uh, but before I do that, like my flights the next morning, he called me. I think this all happened within 24 hours. So I need my books in order to write this thesis. I need a lot of primary sources. I need a lot of books. So I go to the Firestone library, Princeton, and I filled up my book bag I asked the lady, I was writing my paper on post-Cold War arms transfers between the U.S. and, and other nations. And I just went to the weapons sales department and um, grabbed as many books as I could, maybe 20 or 30 of them, threw them in the bag, and got on a plane, went out to, to Ontario. First game we play is in Idaho with, against the Steelheads. First shot I see, I let in. Good start. Good start. And I'm sitting there in the crease and I'm just like looking at the scoreboard. Like you got, you got one shot, one goal. <laughs> and you're just sitting there and you're like, you know, the weak part of your brain goes, well, Mikey, at least you tried. At least you tried, you know. But the other half of your brain's like, a lot of game left. Get the next one. And I'm very happy I chose to believe to go get the next one. So I ended up winning that game. You know, something like 44 saves, 1-4-2. End up winning three or four more games. I think it was like four, four and one. And then things are looking good. You know, I'm playing well. But I'm also trying to write this paper. And you're in Ontario, California. The sun's nice. I remember just sitting in the hotel and the guys are, 
you guys know what room I'm in, and I'm up there on the third floor, and they and they got they got the beers down and the pool, and they're and they're sunning themselves after practice. This is your first taste of pro hockey. It's my first You're taste of pro California. hockey. I'm out of school. I'm like I'm well, on my own, living the. But big you got to finish that little thesis thing for yeah. Princeton. And they're waving at me, and I'm just like looking at them, like I just I can't do it, and I just slowly close the blinds and all the fun that's happening inside me, and I just back to clicking on the on the on the MacBook, and uh, ended up writing that paper, 120 pages of it on the planes, trains, and automobiles for, it was, it was a brutal experience. It wasn't the best work I've done. I ended up getting like a, a C plus B minus on it, which isn't very good for a thesis, but I ended up getting it done. Um, you got the thesis done and managed to give up six goals in four games. Despite, yeah, so yeah. take away the first goal for a shot thing. Yeah. That's, that's five goals in, you know, but yeah, five goals in most of four games. Nine forty-three save percentage. Maybe, that maybe, opened some doors. <laughs> maybe I was focusing on the paper more than my hockey. I, I don't know. My my head was elsewhere. I could just I could just kind of go autonomous out there. But uh, so JF Barube comes down because this is a uh, LA's King, team. Yeah, Kings affiliate. So I'm on an ATO. I'm making four twenty a week after taxes in California. It's two hundred ninety-three dollars a week. Wow. Yep. Um, and so they're like, obviously. JF is just drafted. He's an accomplished goalie. I'm a, I'm a nobody. So they're like, we're going to ride this guy. Stick around for a little bit. We're in the playoffs now. But then I'm finally like, hey, I got to go back. I got to finish these two classes. Uh, I had a good run. Set myself up okay. And I, I was talking with that with my agent and my dad um, like on a Sunday. And the next Monday morning, I get a call from the Houston Arrows. Uh, somebody got hurt. Cody Reichard got hurt, I believe, who I used to right. train with. And so they're calling me up to Houston from Salt Lake City, which is where we were. And I was just like, because we're in the playoffs. And so I had to go down and tell a coach that I'm going to Houston. Uh, he wasn't too happy with that. <laughs> but, but understandably so. Got on a plane, went to Houston. They're just like, hey, you're probably going to back up. It's like, you know, enjoy your time here. Learn as much you can. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Um, Nicholas Backstrom gets hurt. Darcy Kemper gets called up. Now I'm backing up Jeff Delorier. Right. Uh, Jeff Delorier gets hurt. Now you're playing. Now I'm playing. Um, I forget what my numbers were, but a similar thing. Yeah, nine nineteen uh, played five games by the looks of it. Yeah, my goals against average. I'm looking at it here, like little little over two. Mm. Pretty good. Not, not bad. bad. Not, First bad. From, <laughs> not bad for a guy who's writing his thesis, plane trains and automobiles, was in Princeton the week before trying to figure it all out, and now yep. he's in the AHL. Yep. Uh, ended up doing that, and then all of a sudden, Kemp's comes back down because because uh, was fine, and then now we're in the playoffs against Grand Rapids, and we're having dinner in Grand Rapids, and we're watching Minnesota play uh, the like, in warm-ups, and I think Backstrom got hurt again. In, and, you're watching this on yeah, TV. and we're in the Calder Cup now. Against against Grand Rapids and Grand Rapids, was like this was um, Peter Morazic was the other goalie. Right, they're a very stacked team, very very good team. So now I'm playing in that game. So Kemp's is back up. Kemp's is back up. I'm playing in that game, and I'm just like, this is this can't be real. This is too many good things are happening. I, I don't I don't know what's too many opportunities are popping up, but I'm I'm just like whatever. My agent calls me the night before, uh, so we. Game two, I played. We won. Um, my agent calls me the night before game three. He goes, hey, all of Montreal staff is coming to watch you tomorrow to make a decision. No pressure. And I just called him back. I said, like, why would you ever tell me that? <laughs> why would you ever tell me that? End up playing that game. I've arguably one of my best games I ever played. Uh, we won three or two to one or something like that. Ended up having 44 saves. 
and um, ended up agreeing with a contract with them. Vincent Riendo was the the guy who came and scouted me for that game, and he ended up being my goalie coach in Hamilton and in Wheeling the next couple of years. And I asked him about that. I was like, Vinny, when when did you know you wanted to sign me? And he was like, uh, I just watched in warm ups, and I was like, Yeah, this guy's good enough. And I was like, You didn't watch the whole game? And he's like, No, no, I didn't. I was really yeah. good. Yeah, I was like, you know, I checked in on you. I checked in on you, but yeah, you, 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 you were good. You're good. So I was like, oh god, must have had a hell of a warm up. But uh, so there was that. Ended up, we ended up losing to, to Grand Rapids. So I let in seven goals and then ended the uh, the Houston Arrows franchise, which wasn't a, a career highlight for me. But um, ended the oh, because they yeah, they folded it. after that year, and they, no, they moved to uh, Iowa. They moved okay. to Iowa after the year. So the, the Hogs. That was a, that was a tough time, but that was May fifth is when is when I signed with with the Habs and um, hopped on a plane and just flew back to Princeton with little more than you know two week, two three weeks left before graduation and missed the whole senior spring, missed everything, and, and came back with a two year contract with the Montreal Canadiens, having left with an ATO for four hundred twenty dollars. And a bag full of books. And a bag full of books. Came back with a thesis done and yep. a two-year contract with the Montreal Canadiens. That's got to be a little surreal. I, I didn't really believe it. Still, I still look back. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know how that happened. It was a, a lot of good opportunities. I believe you create your own opportunities. Um, not to get too metaphysical with it, but <laughs> I believe that you know if you do the right thing over time, it will, it will eventually come back to you. So I was very, very fortunate to get that. Okay, so uh, thirteen fourteen is split mostly wheeling a little bit a couple times yeah. up with Hamilton majority wheeling yeah yeah and then fourteen fifteen is Hamilton and then yeah. fifteen sixteen is the Montreal Canadiens yeah um that process what you learned about yourself as a goaltender how you evolved from from Princeton yeah. through that whirlwind and into your first few full years yeah. of professional hockey some of the voices mm-hmm. and of course that's the thing I don't want to also admit like or uh, neglect you, you've talked about him a little bit stop it yeah and the work you did there yep. uh, guys like brian decord who mm-hmm. now with the the toronto maple leafs organization but you know just a great coach yeah um so you had some foundation there walk me through that process at the pro level with mm-hmm. new voices and and what you were doing in the summers to make sure you continued that process i was with i've been with brian decord since i was probably you know 11 or 12 pretty much every summer stop at goaltending in uh, in the boston area Guys like Scott Darling, I've seen the videos. Like you would have had uh, Corey yep. Schneider used to go, or yep. still goes there. So you would Corey, have Corey Scott, Joe Canada, good guys. Um, even when I was young, seeing seeing some names, um, you know, Brian Foster, a lot of a lot of really great you know, hockey East goalies, people who I looked up to, and I think that's one of the great things about Stop It is that they, you know, you're on the ice with these guys, and it's so important for younger guys to be on the ice with accomplished guys. It's tough, right? Especially when those bigger groups and everything. But I think it's, you know, every once in a while, I think it's important for kids this, to to share ice with bigger goalies, to see how they work, to see how they prepare, see how they train, and to just set their goals even higher. So I was I was able to to see all these people's paths. They were all different. And I was like, okay, how do I find my path amongst the ones that I've already seen? Um, and I know that I could do it. So uh, he was very instru- instrumental in my in my upbringing as a goalie. 
uh, throughout prep school, throughout navigating the, the, the college process choice. And um, he's still a very good friend to this day. And, you know, his, his son's a heck of a goalie as well. So, yeah, we've had him on the podcast yeah. as well and enjoyed his, that yeah, conversation. His son's a heck of a goalie, and he's going to be starting with uh, working in the Ottawa organization now. So I'll shout out to Joey, Joey Dak. Um, but, yeah, when you when you leave college and you just go to pro hockey, like I was, I was in – high academic pressure since I was since 2003 to 2013 so 10 years I was splitting between academics and athletics and social life and trying to navigate that time management fiasco and then here you are in Wheeling West Virginia with a 40 minute coast practice and that's all you got for the day it it, it was difficult for me to to kind of turn down a little bit because okay. I've been, I've been, I was operating at like a thousand miles an hour for a long time. The four years at Princeton were a blur because you really had no time to stop and smell the roses. You were doing something all the time. And it was only till I got out, I realized how much I did in school and how much more free time I had to actually just focus on my career. And I think that was hundred percent hockey now was, was basically the mentality. And I think that was, um, it was hard to transition that, but I think I had one of my best years learn to be a pro in the East Coast League, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. And a lot of people give the coast a bad rap, but I think for goalies, especially college goalies or even even uh, major junior goalies, it's a great place to learn to be a pro. You're going to see a lot of pucks. It's it's kind of it's 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 tough hockey sometimes. It's a little bit sloppy, but uh, it's unpredictable, and it's going to throw you looks that you've never seen before, and that you'll be ready for. It if you make it to the next level. So I wouldn't trade that experience. Embrace it. Yeah. Embrace it. It's a great place to learn. It's a great place to learn. Granted, there may not be a bunch of people in the stands. You know, the big club may not be checking in on you as much, but it's up to you and the ball's in your court. So it's, it's better to be able to have a a deterministic future instead of someone else determining it for you. So it's a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, how many goalies in the NHL today play in the coast too? A lot. Yeah. Increasingly, it's, increasingly it, it used to be a place to put guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, admittedly, but now it's now it's a part of the plan. Like, mm-hmm. That's just the reality of there's there's only so many spots and organizations are running deeper and some of them have, you know, two drafted guys down there. As a matter of fact, it's become harder mm-hmm. to get the opportunities like the ones that got you started coming out of Princeton because so many more, they, that free agent opportunity down there is oh, tougher yeah. to find because so many teams have, you know, like right down to yep. six, six drafted guys down there or six contract guys down there. Yeah, it uh, used to be a write-off getting an ATO on the coast. It used to be an easy thing to do, but, you know, my good buddy of mine who I went to college with, Sean Bonner uh, from from Delta over in Vancouver. I didn't yeah. know. I Yeah, I've he was my been goalie on the part- ice with him yeah. and Sean and his goalie coach, Sean Murray, and yeah. watched some of that. He was my goalie partner for three years at Princeton, and every single day, for three years, we went toe-to-toe in practice, competing over finding time for 38 games for three years straight. So shout out to Bones. He's, he's, I, I, I owe a lot of my success to him, and he's one of those guys who I think is an unbelievable goalie. And he's had to go to Fayetteville. He's had to bounce around the SP just for the opportunity. And he's, I think he's, he's, he's way better than an East Coast League goalie. And so you're mentioning getting that opportunity. It's not a shoo-in. And this, he, he's with... Uh, Atlanta now and, and he's had to work and grind to get that opportunity with Atlanta so people shun the coast but it's not it's it's, it's a tough league to get into especially yeah. as a goalie so. yeah no no they, you're absolutely right it's funny because I've seen him playing first thing that popped into my mind was why hasn't this guy gotten an opportunity exactly exactly okay. so okay so then we then with the big year 15 16 you had Hamilton the next year yeah 
15, 16 is your first chance with the Habs. Mm-hmm. What's what's it like being in that organization? What are you learning from guys like Stefan Waite? What are you learning? Yep. You're, you're in training camp yep. with guys like Kerry. Yeah. What what are you learning? What are you taking away from it? How are you staying true to yourself as you get exposed to all these different ideas yeah. and voices in your game? It was really hard. Uh, you go from you know being in the minors, not really a, 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 a talked about or highly touted prospect. You know, you're not you're not the guy who's you know getting the clicks or anything like that. You're kind of just moving in, in the shadows, trying to just trying to you know make a name for yourself. And you, I, I was very lucky to make the team that year. Yeah, out of camp, it wasn't a shoe in. I had a, I had a battle out with Dustin Tokarski, who's a, who's a very accomplished and, and very skilled goalie in himself. So that, that was very hard. Now, now you're in Montreal, which is the, the probably the toughest hockey market in, in Canada with all the spotlight. And, um, you know, you go from West Virginia to Montreal, <laughs> you know, or Hamilton to Montreal. It's like, it's, it's, it's a blur. I mean, those three years are just a constant adjustment, different league. You know, in the coast, it's 10 forwards and 60, you know, and now all of a sudden you're in the A and it's a little bit more professional. It's a little bit more serious. And then all of a sudden you're at the Bell Center and, you know, crazy. and, you, you know, your, 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 your nameplate's next to Carey Price's nameplate and you're just sitting there and you're like, oh, all right, we're in the big leagues now. We're in the big leagues. So that was, that was tough. I was 25 and uh, just learning to navigate the city and learn to navigate uh, all the attention that's on you. Um, it's 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 something that no one really teaches you, and you kind of have to learn for yourself. But the way I the way I navigated it was just trying to be as quiet as I could. Just <laughs> there's not a lot of going out. There's not a lot of you know venturing around. I just I would I would I would spend most of my time at the rink. I like to get there at seven, try to take off around two, and then you know go for a walk around three or four after you get to the apartment, get dinner back at the place. Out lights out at ten. That was on a two-way contract at the time too, right? So you go from making sixty-five grand or, or five hundred seventy-five thousand. Not that money should be a, a motivator for players, but it's definitely in your mind. Like, how can I it not be? How it couldn't? Be, how yeah. couldn't it be? Right? So I wasn't going to let uh, any anything come between um, being prepared if my name got called, and it did get called a lot that year. Well, and I was just going to say that, and that ended up being a trial mm-hmm. by fire, like yep started as you know started playing with but then playing a ton yeah like how are you just trying to survive at some points are you able to sort of take a step back and Mm -hmm. and sort of realize what what the experience is like learn through it or are you just that that's a big ask in your first season in the nhl to play that many games in that market Mm -hmm. with those expectations that fan base that pressure how did you manage it it was, it was hard. A lot of people say day by day, but for me, it was to the point where it was hour by hour. Just keep it as simple and as, as, as narrow as possible. What are you doing this hour? What are you doing the next hour? I mean, it was my, it was my first time hopping on planes on charters and, and, and being around guys who I always looked up to, guys who I always watched on TV. I mean, I was 21 and I went to the Bruins parade as a fan wearing a Jerry Cheever's jersey, right? When they beat the Canucks and then now I'm in the league. So it was a little bit of adjustment in that, in, in, in that sense. Um, but it was, it was just trying to keep it staying as much in the moment as you can. That's a cliche saying, but like, what are you doing right now? Focus on that. What are you doing? Are you stretching? Are you working on your hands? Are you at practice? Are you eating? What are you doing? Are you in the sauna? Just look at that. Literally in the moment. Whatever's going to come is going to come. Thinking about it's not going to change what's going to happen. It could distract you, but 
why don't you come up with a plan and just execute that hour by hour? And that made it go by a little bit easier. But it, it, it was hard. I mean, I, I had a high ankle sprain six games into the year and then pulled an adductor, you know, 12 games into the year. So now I got a football tape job from my ankle to my mid, uh, from my low ankle to my, I mean, four or five inches below my knee. And then I got a, I got a hip wrap around my, around my body. And I'm just sitting there just trying to, okay, what's the, okay. I, I, the way I play games is I break them into five minutes segments. Yeah. So 20 minutes, 20 minutes a period. So you have, you have four segments. So first five minutes, second five minutes. And I just challenged myself to try to focus shorten, it. just shorten it, play five, five minute games, five minute games. And that's, that's, that's what I tried to do. Um, I was hurting and in your career when you're that young, availability is a commodity. And as my dad always said, when he played football, you can't make the club when you're sitting in the tub. So, uh, I, I, I prided myself on my durability, but also I'm kind of paying for that right now. I'm going to ask. Yeah. So. It was, but it was kind of a survival thing. And as I get older, I'm trying to switch my mentality from survive to thrive. And that's just the maturation process as a goalie. So yeah, that year was tough. I ended up playing 55 games. I mean, a lot of good highlights. The winter classic was a, was a huge, was a huge thing for me. I was um, going to ask yeah. you about that. Yeah. I mean, that seemed like a pretty magical experience for yeah. a guy who, as you said at the beginning of this grew mm-hmm. up just, and, and your dad worked at the stadium at like, yeah. As well as insecurity. No, my dad was a Massachusetts State Trooper. Right. So he was a he used to do details there all the time, and he actually escorted the bus down. He drove the the, the cop car in front of the, the bus. So I asked him before we left the hotel, I'm like, you know where you're going? <laughs> <laughs> he was like giving me he was giving me crap back, but it was it was a big day for the family, and, and it, it didn't make things any easier. I mean, you have all that pomp and circumstance going around, and meanwhile, and just hockey wise. Just traded for Ben Scrivens. Um, think I think that I think we lost like six in a row up to that point. Um, things things are are unraveling. Carey's health status is in the air. Um, really, just a lot of unknowns and ambiguity going through, and you're and you're just trying and you're just trying to survive. But that that day was a was a great was a great moment for for my family and myself, and was happy to 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 have the opportunity to do it. It's and to and and so some big moments in that game and a big like. And we'll we'll go. We're, our in goal uh, listeners are going to yeah. get to see. We have got a few highlights here that we're going to walk through, and hopefully have it in goal mag soon. A particular glove save <laughs> off the backside with yeah. like no time left. Yeah. Like, how are you able to block out? Like you said, the family, mm-hmm. the pomp, the circumstance, the hype in a, in, in a building that yeah. you grew up. I'm assuming Patriots fan. I can't remember the details. Huge Pats fan. Yeah, Huge, so I had, we'll I had, hold uh, that against you. On my, ma- on my mask, I got. I had Brady and Belichick That's from, right. from Davart. Davart yeah. put him on the back, and then. I remember, the, I remember the before the game, we were having the practice out there, and it was tough because the sun was on the ice, and we had shades and eye black. And I'm like, the game's at the same time tomorrow. Like, which ends are we at? I'm trying to figure out like where's the, the sun going to be. Gonna be? I'm going to be able to see. And then somebody from the Patriots organization came up and said, uh, "Tom and Bill want to sign your helmet." And I'm sitting there as a, just like the biggest fanboy. I'm like, I get to meet Tom and Bill. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to follow you. Let's go do it in the locker room. And she's like, Nope, you can't come in the locker room. And I was like, what? She's like, nope, the team's leaving for Miami. They don't have a lot of time, and we don't let any strangers in the in the room before the before they, they leave. Really? And I'm like, I put these guys on my helmet. Like, come on. Like, let me, let me in. Yeah. And so, like, I didn't trust her. I thought that she was just some asshole trying to steal the helmet. You know, like, <laughs> there's a lot of sticky fingers around there. I didn't know what was going on. So I was like, 
all right, I want I want picture proof that, that this happened. She's like, okay, so Tom Tom signed it and Bill signed it, and that's that's what's on the back plate, and that's one of my favorite keepsakes of, of my career. So, so just, but I'm, amid all that, how'd you like? Was it just the, as simple as your same routine, five minute segments? Like, how'd you same, have a yeah. good game yeah. with all that going on? That's one of the toughest things to do. It was lucky because the game was at one, so you basically wake up, you get as much sleep as you can. You wake up at nine nine thirty breakfast. But you're at the stadium. Oh, sorry. Wake up at eight. Bus at nine. You're there at ten, ten or eleven, and then you you play. There's no pregame skate. You don't have to think about it anymore. The shorter day, you're not yeah. having to try and get a nap. The worst part is the nap on game day, because like you get off the ice, you just worked. You know your heart rate's up a little bit. Now you have to turn off before you turn back on, and that's I think that's a skill for players i'm not sure if they're meditating or, or whatever getting down for getting down for that nap is a skill it's hard i struggle with it um, and in bigger games even even more so yeah even more so especially when you're not playing a lot if you're not if you're not in the groove like when i was with the senators and you play, i think i started 28 games in a row it was just like you're just going you know you're just going there's no there's no thought about it you're just i mean your body needs the rest so you're like you have no problem getting down for that nap but when you're backing up and it's, that's your game uh, it, it can be difficult getting down for that nap because you, you might not get another one for a week, week and a half. So it's there's a lot of a lot of a lot of stuff going through your brain before you get back out there. But um, yeah, I was lucky that that game was at was at one p.m. That made it things a lot easier. You played it. It's back in my bed in Montreal that night at eight p.m. Like it was just a crazy turnaround. You're just sitting there like, what just happened? You know, it was it was t- it was different though because the fans were so far away from the ice that they weren't reacting in real time to the game. A lot of them were reacting with what was going on the Jumbotron. So a goal would happen and like it would be a time like, delay. There would be like a two or three second time delay. Whereas normal games, it's like right, it's right away. It's right on you. So they were far away. They weren't like the noise was a lot quieter, but I mean, you're sitting there and you're walking out and there's flames going on everywhere. There's bands, there's F 18s flying over. You're just like, <laughs> what's going on? I remember they had fake snow before you went out there and it's like this really wispy fine stuff and i got it all over my stick blade and i was superstitious at the time and i had to use that stick and i was skating on the ice like i just slipped on one of the wispies because there, there was a ton of them on it and i was freaking out and i'm trying to like wash the stick blade get all the wispies off because if you go to stop and there's one of those fine little fake snow hairs on there i'll be like having tape under you your just skate. falling on your butt in front of sixty-eight thousand, and I, that's all i i was like get that thought out of your head like am i have to use a new stick i was like that kind of helped though because i didn't have to think about stopping the puck at that point i was more concerned you were worried about wispies i was more i was more worried about wispies on my on my on my goalie stick so luckily there was there was there was no slipping or anything like that but uh it ended up being a really good day you opened the door there superstition you, you said you're no longer superstitious you clearly the stick and yep. feeling like you had to play with that stick so yep. where does superstition and routine fit for you and how's that evolved yeah, over it can years? um it can be debilitating that I think uh what do they say I, I i became a slave to my routine right and that's that's the thing that happens that, to a lot of guys yeah that's the thing that we have to keep in check um just because you have a good game because you did some stupid ball routine before doesn't mean you have to do it again just because you have a bad game doesn't mean you can't have chicken parm again before you play so I think it's just getting what works, keep it small, keep it simple. I remember like when I was really hurting and I, and I couldn't, I couldn't move before games, my routine, I would probably burn about 35% of my energy stores before I even got on the ice and played the actual game. Cause I was just trying to move and feel good. And I had to do all these things or else I wouldn't feel good. 
and that's just a that's just a down slope as the year goes on and it's not a not a very healthy place to be so master your routine try not to add to it don't subtract from it but certainly don't add to it because well you can add i can't say that but too much like you got to know where that line is uh, 10 minutes before meeting i have to do this and then i have to do this and then i have to do this and i have to do this now there's stress if you don't get it done and at least the way i thought i became very manic and and, and that's not a good place to be before games no definitely yeah. not right like that okay so and we've got to wrap this up because yeah. i can't believe how much time i've taken but uh, no. people are gonna love this <laughs> um 16 17 that's you end up in Pittsburgh, Ottawa, like yeah. waivers. And what was that like? I mean, it, you've had so many experiences to date. Does that help you manage when something like that happens to you? Like how, how did, how did that all play out and how, what was the mindset through it and how did you adapt to it? It does. I, I had a lot of, I had a lot of faith in the formula that I had. And it was just that if, if you, if you work your hardest and you look the man in the mirror and after ever at the end of every day um, and you empty the tank and you're honest with yourself that you prepared the best you could, then you can't really ever lose in my mind. You may not be good enough, but it's not going to be because you didn't work hard. And I think that there's some freedom and there's some honor in that. Um, and that's kind of been my mentality. And I had so many times I thought I was down and out in my career that um, I couldn't really see what that opportunity at the second was, or what was happening to me was going to get me down the road. So, you know, you play 55 games for the Canadians um, I have a year left on my contract. July 1st run, rolls around. You're on the boat in Lake Winnipesaukee with your buddies. And then you see when your buddies are, Hey, the Habs just signed Al Montoya. And you're just like, Oh, <laughs> what does this mean? What does this mean? And then all they, they give you the spiel. Oh, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Like it's just you no know, veteran presence. And you can't really ever, ever trust that. And, you know, had a, had a tough training camp, not my best, certainly not the one I had the year before. And, and then you end up on waivers. You know, you're on practice, you're working hard that day, and you know it's cut day. And then all of a sudden you see the cameras at the at Broussard practice rink and they're all coming down to you. And they're all like they're all panning down to you. They're all like running around because like something something just happened. Something just came across. And that's how you figured it. Yeah, like I saw like I saw like something going on. I was like, oh geez. I was working with I think I was working with Steph at the time, just getting some reps after practice, and there was some like stuff going on in the concourse and out of corner of my eye. I'm like all right, everyone's looking at me. This can't be good. And then all of a sudden you see the henchman at the end of the boards uh, and he just waves you over. You know, Mark Birchman wants to see you. I'm in the stick room. I'm sweating. And he's like, he's like, you're on waivers. Um, we don't, we're not sure if anyone's going to claim you. Um, don't leave the city. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. And then 24 hours later, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, the last waiver claim, claimed me. So they were, they were the only ones that stood between me and St. John's, Newfoundland. And playing for the Ice Caps, and that's all because Matt Murray broke his thumb at the World Cup of Hockey. World Cup, of course, right? So, uh, yeah, I go there, spend two or three, two or two or three weeks there. Uh, end up getting played one, played one, one played one period one in Nashville. Period. Seven saves, seven saves. Well, yeah, the, I gotta say, the line on Hockey DB looks good. The one thousand save that's, percentage that always that always <laughs> that always looks good. Yeah, Never mind this that it was just twenty minutes. Yeah, they're gonna they're, gonna they're gonna put my number in the PPPG Paints Arena rafters pretty soon for no goals against and the highest save percentage. But uh, it was a great time there just to to work with uh, to skate with Sidney Crosby, Malkin, Kessel. The, the the names they have there was really cool and that is order. that how you approach it like like hey look this, these guys are shooting on me in practice this is an opportunity to go against the best in the world on a daily basis 
It, it was strange because Murray was skating, but okay. he wasn't uh, he wasn't fully cleared yet. So I was getting kind of the scraps at practice, and I was just trying to keep a good attitude. And like, I but the thing is, I knew something was going to come because they they didn't they didn't put me they had to keep me for at least a month, I think. And once they claim me, is that how it works? I don't I, even really know. I, I'd have to look it up. But yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. I know once they claim you, yeah. like they can't send you down. Yeah. So yeah, so they, they do have to but keep you on the NHL it, roster. Yeah, as it goes with every NHL season, the first month is is always tough for goalies because guys can't guys' bodies have trouble adjusting to the the rigors of the season right away. So I think uh, Mr. Rutherford, the GM, kind of knew that and was just waiting for the right offer. And then you know Pierre grew from uh, from uh, from Ottawa, who was there when Montreal signed me, remembered me. And threw my name into the to the ring, and I had a very low cap number at five seventy five league minimum. So they had no problem making that trade for a fifth round pick, and that was a tough day because I was in L.A. We were in Anaheim. I do morning skate. I get off the bus, and there's there's Mister Rutherford, and he says, uh, "Good news is uh, bad news and good news. Bad news, you're not going to play for us anymore. Good news is you're playing tomorrow night." And it's like it's probably like noon in L.A. And I was like, he's like, you're, he's like you're, you're, you're playing against Vancouver. And I'm like, in Vancouver? He's like, nope, in Ottawa. Dope. And I'm like, he's like, your flight's in uh, two hours. <laughs> so I had to drive back to the hotel, get my stuff, rip to LAX. LAX to, to Toronto, Toronto to Ottawa. I got in at like 4, 3.45 in the morning, 4 a.m. Pierre Grew picks me up at 7. I meet the guys, get my pad wrap on my pads, Get my white mask, eat some lunch. Really not functioning at a high capacity at that time. Try to get a nap, come back, play Vancouver, and end up getting uh, I think it was two nothing shutout. And it was just completely. I I don't really know how to describe it. Like three hours of sleep after doing going cross country. Maybe another one of those examples where yeah, not overthinking things. You just go out and go. It's probably the, I mean, I wish I could bottle that emotion. I mean, that's the, the goalie elixir right there. If you can bottle that emotion, that would be the way, way to go. To turn that off completely <laughs> yeah. right up until the free, free your mind, your ass will fall. Yeah. From running around in the wheel. Pretty much. Yeah. And then, and then from there, it was a tough situation though with Craig and everything, um, and the team and, um, yeah, thankfully his, his wife is, is still okay. If Craig's a, Craig's a good friend. I consider him a good friend and a good, uh, goalie partner. And he taught me a lot. And, um, was just fortunate to be able to share the crease with them. And we ended up going on a pretty good run there. And, you know, one shot away, double overtime, game seven, Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. Chris Kunitz, you know, threw a screen. That's just the way it was for us. So it was, a, it, was a, it was it was fun to go that far. And, you know, you're only five wins away. Five wins. That's crazy. Weird. It's a weird feeling. And, okay. And so then, then Craig, PG, another one of our favorites here, Pierre yeah. Grew. Um, kind of things you take away from those two like because craig's got a very unique approach yeah. like he, he plays the game different right a lot more instinct yeah. and stuff he's, he's a, another guy we've had the pleasure to yeah like another guy i really enjoy talking to. yeah he's really old school i mean i think he's 37 36 yeah, 37 year, I think. yeah so how many different evolutions of goaltending has he played through good point five yeah you know it's how many gear changes that he played through how many gear evolutions has he played through so in terms of having a lot of clubs in the bag, that guy's got a lot, and he has a different, many different ways of of playing the game. And when he was growing up, I would imagine that his style was very much reactive, and as you said, instinctual, and not so much technical. 
it was I think he was I think he was talking about doing skate saves growing up a couple times and stuff like that. So his way he reads the game is a lot different. Like when he talks about reading shots and reading hands, like and, and especially in shootouts and stuff. I probably shouldn't reveal this, but sometimes he'll say that he'll he'll only look at their eyes and their bottom hand. I won't even look at the puck because he's like, this will tell me everything that I need to know or the general area. Yeah. Whereas when guys get close with the puck, you know, not many goalies can't react in time anyways. Right. So you little, have to have that yeah. little tri- tips on anticipation. Yeah. Little, little stuff like that. Little different ways to little, little tidbits. Cause at this, at this level, goalies are looking for 1%, 2% increases. You're not, it's hard to get a five. It's hard to get a 10. <laughs> like that's kind of unheard of. So the 1%, 2% increases in your game. Uh, my relationship with Pierre grew is still strong even after even after getting traded. He's one of the first guys to call me afterwards. I spent a lot of time with uh, his family. He invite, had me over for family dinners all the time. Being a single guy in Ottawa, his his family cooked for me a lot, and um, you know we we worked very well together. He was a, a great coach to confide in, and uh, he really knew what I needed in terms of whether it was motivation or day off. A lot of it was taking more off. It was like. I always feel guilty when I don't skate. Even when I was playing 28 in a row, I was like, I still got to skate. I have to skate. He's like, no, take it off and rest as a weapon, that type of stuff. So he knew, he knew what I needed. Um, and he was just, it was, it was laughs every day, regardless of whether we lost five in a row or, or anything like that. It was laughs every day. It was upbeat, good energy. And over 82 games, over being in Ottawa when it's dark and it's cold and, you can get cranky. He was, it was always, I always enjoyed seeing him when I came to the rink. Okay. And so, and now a new opportunity. So, um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask one more. Millard's going to just absolutely (laughs) lambaste me when he sees the time on this and he hears me doing one more. (laughs) Last one though. I promise. Gear. 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 Equipment. You talked about it early. One of the roles you played, you talked about that Hashik setup in the early days. You talked about the helmet, getting that autograph by Brady and Belichick. Um, favorite sets over over time. How has it evolved for you over the years? Is is it was it part of the part of what fueled the passion? Do you you ever set you remember that was like that's it, that's oh the one. There's a lot of those. I I remember there was a there was a pivotal moment in in my upbringing for my uh, we had a split family home. I remember where I was and I was watching this little ten inch TV. I think it was Seinfeld or something. My dad came to the bottom of the stairs and he used to be the, actually to be the equipment manager for our youth program. So every year parents rotated, you hold all the gear in your garage. It wasn't a very desirable job, but someone had to do it. And I remember he just, he came to the bottom of the stairs of the split family house. He's like, you got to decide right now. You're going to be a player or a goalie. Like that, like this is it. Like you're, 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 you're on the verge right now. You have to make a decision. The roads are splitting. And I, I like I th- all I remember in my head was just the first thing that came to mind. I was like, I loved pads. I love like customizing pads or seeing the different ones, the different masks, the creativity and stuff like that. And I'm like, players don't get to do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a goalie. I'm gonna be a goalie. And that's kind of where it started. And I, from a kid, I was lucky enough. That's when I was really young, like 11, 12, 13. That's when goalie customizers started coming on the internet. Yeah. So I was always on there on the dial up waiting for my mom to get off the phone. <laughs> I got to go on, got to go on, uh, you know, Duke's one hockey was the website I'm in Toronto. I would, I would always be going on there. I remember when I was 12. I emailed uh, Smith goalie pads if they would want to sponsor me. And like, why would they ever want to sponsor a 12 year old goalie? Um, I just, I just love the gear. Um, as you get older, you obviously get a little bit jaded with that designing masks and everything. Uh, it gets hard coming up with new concepts and stuff, but, 
Um, favorite sets. I, I really like playing at Princeton because it was a great color scheme. One year I had uh, all orange pads. Called them the pumpkins. It was awesome. Me, what were me, they? What, what, uh, ooh, they were X60s, Bauer, Bauer X60s. So I wore it. Yeah. It was a Bauer school. You had to wear Bauer. Um, senior year high school wore Bauer. Everything before that was TPS. Okay. And then when I was really young, it was Vaughn. So Vaughn, TPS, um, Bauer. Bauer into, into Montreal too. Uh, and then I met, uh, there, was, there was a gear confusion in, in Montreal. And I remember um, meeting uh, one of the Lefebvre family. And he said, he, he, he said yeah, I'd like to make you a pair of pads. And I was like, oh, we got training camp coming. Like, I can't really wait that long. He's like, I'll make you a pair of pads in two days. And I was just like, I'm not going to say no. And he's like, what spec do you want? And I just looked over at Carrie's pads. I'm like, maybe those. And so he made me like a spinning image Carrie Price pad while, while I'm working with Carrie, thinking it would translate. I think I even used Carrie sticks. I started using this curve for a bit. I was just like really hoping for the transitive property to kick in. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and for me now, the, the way my body's moving, the way my body's feeling, CCM has been uh, a really good fit for me over the years. And they've, and they've taken good care of me too. Not that Bauer didn't either. I have a lot of good friends over at Bauer. They, they, they do things well. And that's one thing about the goalie community with, with reps and everything is that everyone is, is very helpful and very kind because everyone's mismatching gear now. I got Vaughn pants, CCM chest, warrior stick, Vaughn helmet. VH skates. You have to work with a lot of different people, and it's it's just fun to see the passion in the gear. And you know, uh, I, I really sh- it's really nice to see a rep share the interest that in attention to detail that you have as well. So it's a very it's very kind of culty almost. It's like its own little goalie gear cult that that's been with me for for my whole career, and um, it's kind of things that just keeps you connected to your to your former child self. So it's kind of refreshing in that sense. So I've seen you in Kelowna, you've filled the Ottawa colors. It's a six set dark. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, not not into the white superstition. Never got to wear them, unfortunately. Never got to wear the black ones in the game. But um, what have you, so have you been on a customizer or do you just trust them now to come up with something in uh, in the old uh, blue, white, silver? Or are, you, oh, are you planning this one? It's, uh, I already ordered it. I'm, I'm going, um, I always go black and, or dark colors in the back of my pads, especially the side gusset and the internal uh, color. Is there a reason? Sight yeah. It was good with Ottawa because it was black. And I like having black on the sides and black on the back with black skates. Nothing because how many times has a puck been loose and there's been a ref behind you? Um, everything's black back there. He can't see it. And when he can't see it, he has to blow the whistle. How many times has a puck been sitting on the side of your pad? You don't know where it is. And it's black. So a player can't pick it up. If they can buy you a millisecond, if I can buy anything any advantage i can take in terms of you know visual acuity and hiding the puck i'm gonna do it because you make a you make a, a screen save and it trickles through your arm and it's sitting behind you you know referee can't see referee it. can't see it and Players forward can't see it i can't see it that's yeah. an advantage and then it makes it, yeah. it makes it look like you know what you're doing <laughs> okay so okay and so colors in the front you already we, we're I went, gonna uh, see that i went all white speed skin on it because have uh, you had the speed skin before yes yes thoughts We've had a few reviews on it. Yeah, I I like it. I like it. It marks up a little bit quicker, I find, than the old traditional leather. Um, I used to use the... uh, Weave? Weave. Weave on the inside. Which is what Carrie uses. Yeah, weave on the inside because it just... just, Slides a little bit. It's got a lower drag coefficient. (laughs) Is that a Princeton term? (laughs) No, I don't know. My my roommates were mechanical aerospace engineers, so they would always talk about stuff, and I I have no idea what that means, but I'll, I'll throw it around to 
impress. Notice the difference in the speed scan sliding though? A little. Uh, a little bit. A little bit. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's faster or not, but I mean, I like it. I know it's lighter. So I'll take that instead of, you know, if it, it can, if it slides as good and it's a little bit lighter, I'll take the lightness from it. Um, but I went all white in the front with just uh, blue accents on the stitching because the eFlex 4 didn't come out with a new graphic. And it's tough when a graphic comes two years in a row because then everyone's like, you want to be original, right? You don't want to be having the same graphic as somebody else. And uh, Curtis wears CCM. Yeah. Louis wears CCM. You know, odds are, you know, it's, it's, it, we might come up with the same pair of pads and then hopefully, hopefully we don't because we want to, we want to keep it unique and individual. So we'll, we'll see what they look like in camp. Right. Okay. Well, I look forward to seeing that. I hope we see that on uh, some social media or, or at camp or. Yep. Best yet in the NHL at some point in the near future. Mike, I can't thank you enough for taking like monster podcast time here. Yeah. I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. That was fun. Uh, You didn't even, I don't even think you said one more or two more questions because Condon was just, he was in a flow right there. I don't know Mike very well, but in that conversation, much the same way. Uh, where you listen to a guy that, uh, that you're just learning about and you, you learn to cheer for him. And, and that's what I came away with that Mike Condon conversation, Woody. Yeah. I mean, and I guess, you know, I, I've had the pleasure of sort of writing different aspects of his story for NHL.com and for Ingoal over the years. And I think it is that backstory that he talked about, um, you know, studying or, or writing, writing his thesis for Princeton, on East Coast Hockey League buses yeah. and a career that he really never counted on happening and at many times didn't think was going to happen to playing for the Montreal Canadiens within a few years. And um, it's a great story, but there's an honesty and sincerity, a self-deprecation a little bit there too, to the way he tells it. Just there's a sincerity and a passion that makes you cheer for the guy. Like I want good things for Mike Condon. And if you listen to that interview and don't, then... I don't know what to tell you what's wrong with you, right? Like I, I, you cheer, you cheer well, for and, and naiveness too, right? With the Instagram, like trying to replicate things where you, they, he admits to almost not a sense of panic, but watching Instagram and seeing drills and go, why am I not doing that? And then going out and doing it like he, he's, these guys aren't that different from the rest of this world that we talk about. Oh, he's speaking for every goalie out there, isn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he just, and like I said, I, it's funny cause, uh, Obviously, it went long. If you're still listening to me right now, you know how long. Uh, it was great, but it was. I, I was. I was so happy. Like I was like, man. Like he's like, are you, are you, you think that might be a little long? I'm like, Dude, people are gonna listen to this because it's so compelling. He's got such a good story, and like I said, the sincerity with which he tells it, the openness, the honesty um, about you know everything he's been through, and some of the you know some of the thoughts that can creep into your head along the way, whether you're. You know, whether you're playing in college and thinking about having to get a real job or whether you're on, you know, center stage with the Montreal Canadiens or now fighting back uh, from some injuries. It's just it's just a really good guy and a hell of a goaltender, too. To, to, there, that's the one thing. There is a, there's a skill level there. And if it wasn't that, like, there's no way, uh, as, as self-deprecating as he can be at times, um, you know, he has for those years been one of the, you know, you get a 62 best in the world to play in the NHL. And it's been exciting to sort of watch him reprogram his body a little bit and see some of the confidence he seems to be getting from that. 
And I'd be really interested to follow along this year. It's going to take some time, but as he sort of gets his feet back under him and, 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 and I, th- I just think there's an innate skill set there that's going to push him back into the conversation in the NHL. And, and much as Tampa Bay said, we acquired him and we're going to give him a shot to sort of rehab himself and his game in the minors because we think he's an NHL goalie. Now, I could see this guy being a part of someone's picture uh, as this season goes on and being a guy that other teams might covet say, come trade deadline or if anybody else is missing a guy. And obviously, like I said, I'm cheering for him to get back. Uh, And he's also not the only person who's ever thought of driving to Ontario from from (laughs) the eastern side of the country or the continent. Uh, but he might be the only one that I know of that that's admitted it. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, again, there's that honesty, right? Because I've I've done I, as I said, I've yeah. done it too. But not all of us would admit it. Not all of us would admit it, especially once yeah. we get to his position. And the the Wall Street story. Have you ever thought about uh, giving this the hockey thing a try? Because I think you should focus on that right now. <laughs> uh, it was just it it, it was fun, and uh, yeah, like much like the Eric Comrie. Uh, discussion that you had you just walk away with that and go just i i I want nothing but the best from uh from mike so we hope you enjoyed the discussion with mike condon and ryan frain Uh, for dave hutchison and kevin woodley i'm darren millard thanks for listening and if you liked what you heard today and if you've listened this long you have please leave us a comment and a like at your favorite uh, podcast provider that way we can grow this thing even bigger and bring you even more from the world of goaltending I'm Darren Millard. Catch you next time on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Brought to you by The Hockey Shop. Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com.